Cinemodities. Late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm X-Ray Cat. I've got superpowers. I can see through wooden doors with my X-Ray vision. Wooden doors. We are continuing on with our 2001 Fort Year with Freddy Got Fingered. Now, I know in the past few weeks, and probably even before the Fort Year, uh, we've been talking this movie up. We've been saying a lot of things about, you know, how, how much a doozy this episode's gonna be. Um, I actually have to say, Zach, uh, I don't really like this movie. I'm pretty neutral on it. And, and I gotta go, too. So let's, uh, let's save our, our cinematics in late night. We'll put that unanswered. We'll do that, uh, in our four-year anniversary. And I'll just put the intro theme music on in reverse, and that'll be this episode. So. No, oh my god, we're finally doing it, Zach. We're finally doing it. So, I, I just went with the first line of the movie for my quote at the start of this, because much like last week when I said we were spoiled for choice, I was spoiled for choice and how to, uh, who to say I was at the beginning, I think every single line of this movie I would say I am at the start of this movie. I am this movie. I mean, I was tempted to go with also uh, one of my favorite line deliveries is, um, I see the problem here. You have a little baby inside your body. <laughs> No, this is this is great. But in in all seriousness, maybe uh, to to get on track of you know uh, what I said at the start that I'm not neutral on this movie. I don't dislike it. I absolutely love this movie. Let me say something that probably shows how this episode's going to go a little better. Uh, comedy is a lot like music, Zach, in that it comes down to timing, it comes down to uh, cadence, it comes down to delivery and composition, and for some reason, you know. People have opinions, and there's some music that people like that some other people don't like, and it comes down to different whole bunch of different factors. And I think comedy is very similar. Um, and you know, there's a, there's some people out there that really like some obscure music that the whole rest of the world doesn't like for some reason. Uh, and and that's the boat we find ourselves in today. Zach and I think the movie Freddy Got Fingered from 2001 is very funny. The entire rest of the world seems to disagree with us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So we, we find ourselves in a very interesting position this week. And like we've done in the past, I definitely like to think that whenever there's a movie that I'm defending, or maybe not defending in the sense, but if I appreciate it, or if I think it's funny, uh, even the opposite, if I don't like it, you know, I usually try and... F- find a way to explain my reasoning. You know, we did that back in Beverly Hills Cop. I, I think Ben and I got a, a really the essence of why we think that's a bad movie. I did it not too long ago for Monkey Bone, where, you know, I tried to explain why I appreciate that movie so much. I'm kind of tempted to just say, you know, fuck everybody. Can we just, like, gush in the brilliance of Freddy Got Fingered for this episode? Like, maybe we can talk a little bit about what we think it means and, you know, Freddy Got fing- uh, Tom Green's middle finger to the Hollywood industry and all that stuff. But I would be totally fine, Zach, if for the next two hours we just quoted this movie. <laughs> just quote this movie back and forth to each other? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that'd be fine. I mean, I think that we we owe it to ourselves. Maybe we can just, you know, turn off the uh, the, the the talking points, philosophical part of our brain and maybe we just repeat ourselves for two hours, you know? I know that I, I want to say, 
you know, Betty over and over and over in this recording. <laughs> Gordy, I don't want jewels. <laughs> I just want to suck your cock. <laughs> Her facial expression when she delivers that line is just she's like, what have I become? You know, that type of thing. <laughs> no, I mean, this is this is probably uh, for me personally, the most quotable movie we have ever covered and may well ever cover on this podcast not only because i've i just love saying lines from this movie because i've been doing it for so long throughout my life i mean i still regularly to this day as i think many people do say daddy would you like some sausage uh, i regularly talk about the backwards man you'll find me saying i'm the backwards man the backwards man all the time uh, i still every now and then I, I think it's it's so specific that people don't realize it's from this movie but I, I very frequently say, like, you know, but look, I salvaged the treasure. We can live like kings. We can live like kings! And I'm waiting for somebody to throw me into a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we say that, like, probably the most famous line of dialogue from this movie is, Daddy, would you like some sausage? Oh, absolutely. And I would say, and I would say that's not even one of the better lines. Like, it's good, but, like, it's not top tier. Like, it's not. Like, there oh, are yeah, so yeah. many better lines. Yes. I mean, one of the ones I think is, well, I think it's going to come back to a lot, the uh, the comparison I made to about music. And, and I think when we discuss Tom Green in more detail, not just Freddie Got Fingered, I think that's part of the reason Tom Green has always resonated with me. He has a very, you know, maybe not musical tone to the way he delivers his lines and, and his comedy, but he definitely has a certain cadence to the way he delivers lines that I find fundamentally appealing. And I mean, one of the lines, as I'm sure we'll talk about in this movie, uh, that have gotten canceled is delivered fantastically. He's a molester. He's a child molester. And it's just like, that's fundamentally, on. if you just look at that on paper, that is probably not funny. But the way he says child is hilarious. <laughs> well, at least I don't touch Freddy. Very what? Excuse me? Yeah, he touches my little brother. He takes him down behind the furnace and he touches him in his pants. See the insanity I have to put up with here? He's embarrassed. He touches my little brother. He... He fingers him. You're a goddamn liar! Jim, do you touch? Do you finger our boy? Don't you get wacky on me. What the fuck are we talking about here? Mr. Brody, this is very serious. Based on what I've heard here today, I am required by law to notify the authorities. You hear that, Dad? You're gonna pay! He's a molester. He's a child molester! Ah! That's the thing. Like everything about this movie is just dialed up. It's so just twisted. It's it's everything just to like the extreme. I, I mean, a hundred percent. I think I described it in previous episodes. This movie is like looking into the eyes of Satan, and it tells you that as soon as it starts, from the moment it starts. And the beaver came. And it's because it's your stupid beaver. You're stupid. You're stupid beaver. And he starts, like, crying while laying down in his bed. And we get this overhead <laughs> shot. And then immediately cut to a skateboard montage uh, <laughs> backed up by problems by the Sex Pistols. <laughs> like, okay. But this is the thing, though. Is like, is there even a plot summary to this just to give, to, like, the uninitiated out there? Like, it's about, like, Tom Green plays Gord. 
Gordy <laughs> and another one of those Tom Green deliveries. And he wants to be an animator, Gordy. Yep. And he basically pursues his dream as a bunch of just misadventures happen like along the way. Yeah, I, I think the only other level layer to add to that is that um his his father is very disapproving. He is uh, mm. Rip Torn plays the very, very, I think stereotypical like you know uh dad of an adult a uh, child who's now an adult that's still living with them like get out of the house get a job you know that type of thing um that's his basically biggest optic obstacle all the other obstacles are just uh, the, the scenes i don't know <laughs> the best way to put it <laughs> i mean an obstacle is he has to help a woman give birth uh, an obstacle is he has to get inside the animals. <laughs> Another obstacle is he has to make a cheese sandwich. Yes, yes. I mean, but it is – it's it's fantastic. I, I, I think uh, – I know we'll talk about our context, but I've loved this movie for so goddamn long. I still think to this day it's one of the funniest movies in existence. I probably would put it up there – I'm not probably. I definitely would put it up there with Freaked in my category of funniest movies ever. I think this one takes the cake over Freaked. Just because it is so, once again, I think that opinionated musical quality that I'm getting at, that the way things are said, the way are the de they're delivered, and hell, it might also be a version of Stockholm Syndrome for me, where I have seen this movie so much and been brainwashed by it that there are things that I think are fundamentally in this movie that are not jokes that I find hilarious. And give, give me it, can you give me an example of that? Um, just the way that when Betty is talking to Tom Green's character, Gord, how, like, every time Gord will say something, maybe not every time, but a lot of the time Gord will explain something, her response will just have a little, like, woo! Like, the way that she just, like, puts in things into her voice and, and things of that nature, where, you know, I, the restaurant scene is a great one. Probably my favorite scene in the movie is the restaurant scene, where he's, like, showing her, you know, the the printouts of, of charts. And he's saying stuff like, you know, look at these charts, pay attention to these numbers. And she's looking at it. She has no idea what's going on. But he'll be like, and this is, you know, when the stocks are high, you got to sell. And she's like, woo! Is your job really hard? It's not hard, no. It's, uh, I mean, you have to be smart. You have to be really smart. You have to yeah. use your brain. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you have to use my brain. Uh, I like to see when the stocks are, are high, okay? And I like to see when, when, when they're low. That's the that's big thing. Interesting. And sometimes they're really high. Sometimes they're very high, the uh -huh. stocks. And they do, you go very high. That's, that's, <laughs> that's when you high. want. Yeah. <laughs> that's when you want to sell, when they're very high. You buy, you buy them when they're down very low. Uh -huh. mm. Yeah. I mean, I have graphs. I have some graphs I can show you. If you pay attention to these patterns here, you can oh. see on the graphs. I made these on my computer. Wow. And it's just like these little touches that I have become just enamored with completely in this movie. <laughs> like the flourishes, you mean? Yeah, yeah. And every layer of it. And then and then I think there's there's even jokes that I think are so quick and so... They're not even, I think, focused on is a lot of the, the shock humor in this movie is. Like, one of my favorite parts of this movie is at the beginning when he shows up to get on the bus uh, when Julie Haggerty's like, oh, my, like, Julie Haggerty's like, oh, you're going to L.A. And he's like, I'm not just going to L.A. to work in a cheese sandwich factory. I'm going to L.A. so I can, you know, be an animator and work on my dreams. And he's like, I'm going to be an animator like Charles Schultz. And Julie Haggerty goes, you're going to be fine. He goes, no, I'm going to be like Charles Schultz. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, that is wonderful. And I don't know if that's supposed to be a joke or not, but just the idea of you're going to be fine. I'm going to be Charles Schultz. And I love that. <laughs> Why are you moving to Los 
Angeles to work in a cheese factory. I'm not going to Hollywood just to work in a cheese sandwich factory. I'm going to Hollywood to shop my drawings. I'm going to be a famous animator like Charles Schultz. I'm going to be fine. No, I'm going to be like Charles Schultz. That's the thing. Like, there's just so much nonsense. Like, okay, because I don't want to delve too far into this just yet. But, like, it just comes down to, like, it, like I don't want to say nonsense. But at the same time, though, what would you classify this as? Like, I know we've talked about a lot. Like, I know, like, in our Cat in the Hat discussion, we talked about, like, absurdist masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And, of course, absurdism is, like, like I, there's no better way to describe this. But there's just a lot of dialogue that, like, it's not absurdist, but it's almost just, like, nonsense. Like, it's, like, again, like you said, like, he's conveying something, but, like, it's almost nonsensical. Yes, yes. There's... There's I, I've thought about this for so long. There's so much absurdism. There's so much surrealism. There's so much shock. And which makes sense, because shock humor is I think what Tom Green made his um made his name doing, whether it be on his show or when he would go on interviews in like the nineties and the, the early two thousands where he would, you know, I think very famously one of the ones is he goes on some like interview show and he has a suitcase and he opens the suitcase and there's a trash bag in there and the out of the trash bag he takes a, a dead raccoon and then shaves it like on the host's desk. Tom Green, folks! you uh, some questions or shall we get right got, to what's got, in those suitcases new... and start breaking equipment <laughs> no it's, it's it's upsetting to me what's in the suitcase here mike because i got a new shirt to come on the show and i got a new haircut to come on the show because right. i want to look good in the show right right you want to look good when you come on the show right right you don't want to look like a stupid idiot when you're on television right, right. you want to look really good right that's right that's... and then derek derek harvey who writes for our show yeah. <laughs> he brings out the show's mascot right right and i'm all i'm all done up to the nines here in my new shirt. Right. He brings in our show's mascot, and it's all scruffy, okay? Yeah. That's the thing. And I'm looking at him kind of pissed off. Tom, is there a dead thing in that bag? Not... See, we went on a road trip this summer. Yeah. Oh, Tom, don't. No. Oh, Tom. Shirt. Don't come over here. Okay. Tom. And it's all scruffy. And I, I say to him, you know. Tom. See, I put effort into it, right? I want to look good, okay? I want to look good in the show, all right? Hang on. Stay tuned, number one, for the real statics. Hang on, Tom. And number two, a surprise visit from the Humane Society. Like, so there's so many layers to this movie and his comedy that I think that's a part of the reason it resonates for me because there's no single moment of downtime. And then even, I don't even think it's, it's, he, this movie does it so well in that when it's supposedly not or distinctively not supposed to be funny, it still comes off funny because of the juxtaposition. There's a moment in this movie, the low point of our main character's arc, where while it's raining outside, he throws his artwork away, and then he walks into a cheese sandwich shop in slow motion while Moby's natural blues plays. And that is distinctively not funny, but the, the juxtaposition of the rest of this movie to that somber moment played totally, totally seriously is hilarious to me. 
Like that's but like that's the thing though. Like I just like how much of this movie is like is Tom Green and like okay. I'm not sure if Rob watches in preparation for this because like I deliberately did not look into anything mm-hmm. for this. Like I did not want to know anything because I like Rob said like most of the internet hates this movie because they, yes. they still look at Tom Green's The World in 2001. But yeah, the famous yeah. fun fact is that what like the Toronto Star or something is this is the only movie that they reviewed and they gave it a negative one out of five stars. And most people see that and go, oh, that means this movie is the worst thing to ever exist. And I see that and go, no, if a media reviewing outlet created a new ranking for a movie, it deserves credit. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is that like – because Red Letter – I looked at Red Letter Media's review of this, like obviously when it first premiered how many years ago and then when uh, – it, like in preparation for this recording. And like they come in – like their perspective on this is, is that like is Tom Green – a genius or did he literally just take x amount of dollars from a movie movie studio and just do whatever he wanted if it didn't make sense like how much of this is artistically like constructed and how much of this is just the ramblings of a madman sure i mean that's a that's a fair question uh but like i said near the start i i don't care (laughs) no i do care to some extent zach i i want to make that clear but this this is one of those things where i'm like this is this is like the hill I'll die on where it's like I will no one can convince me otherwise no matter what I hear I will love this movie type of thing. <laughs> but like I said I don't think it's coming down to love it's like what was the author's intent? It goes back to like Christopher Nolan Tennant like sure, did he make sure. this did he deliberately make this incomprehensible because he's narcissistic or did he make this deliberately incomprehensible because it's an FU to the audience? Yeah, I, I like, understand. And, it's a, that's a, a legitimate question. That I know we we discuss you ask and we discuss a lot. I think that's the best way to put it. This is another one of the instances where it's not that I don't want to know or that I don't care. It's that whatever the answer is will f- never f- change anything I think about this movie. But like th- this is the part that I find fascinating. Cause, like this movie is so unique. There's really nothing else like it. Yes, especially on a mainstream because like we really have to applaud the fact that like Tom Green got what. I, I don't – I guess thing. this is a 20th Century Fox distributed movie, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they produced it or if they just bought the distribution rights to it. I think they just produced it because when, I, when I've read about this director Distribu- years, Distribute it? Oh, sorry, pres- sorry. Produce- yeah, distribute it. The production company was Regency, I'm pretty sure. Okay, and that's the thing though. Was like, did he did, he, like, did somebody come to him and be like, oh, you're popular with the youth. Here's some money. Make a movie. Mm-hmm. Or was it – did he pursue this? Sure, sure, and that's the question because, like, like one, because like, like, after looking at the red letter media discussion, where their big thing was like, 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 which side of the fence did this come on? Because, like, I know Jay talks about it in their thing is that, like, oh, this movie is like a parallel to like, like, I'm sorry, the plot of the movie is a parallel to real life, where it's like somebody goes to Tom Green, gives him an insane amount of money, and he basically just blows it on whatever he wants. Like it doesn't matter if it makes sense. He just like just somebody comes to him because they like they're like, oh, this is funny. Here you go. Here's basically a more or less blank check. Do what you want with it. And it's basically a giant just like f you to the like to just like the powers that be. It it could be. I've thought about that before. I mean, I think there is an argument for the movie being that, especially at the end when Tom Green basically looks directly at the contractor he hires and goes, "That's it. A million dollars. Easy come, easy go." You know. And that's the thing is that like it like again he got fourteen million dollars to make this movie. Yeah, fourteen million. 
But the thing that I find interesting, and I know Rob looked at the bonus features because I have the physical disc. Rob has his hard drives. And I know in one of the behind-the-scenes featurettes, he's with a producer, and they're talking about, like, how much they can shoot before they get an NC-17 rating. Yep, yep. Which is very, very indicative that he knows everything he's doing. Oh, yeah. Which shows none of this is arbitrary. That's which that's, means which means he's a genius. Which means he's an artistic genius because he knows. Because if he's planning that far out, that means everything's intentional, and he knows. Like not saying there's not like no level of improv here, but it means that like he's a hundred percent control of the situation if he's thinking that far ahead. Yes, and that that's the side that I lean on with Tom Green. That's the side I lean on with. I think you know all of my. Um, my favorite comedians that I, I really I you know I I think a good a good more maybe more modern just because they've had a show in the last few years. Uh, another comedian I put on a pedestal is Vernon Chapman, and I think we discussed it with Wonder Shows. And I feel like there's people who would see this or see Wonder Shows and go, "That's just nonsense. They just made up shit and threw it together." And it's like, no, no, there is actual understanding of what's going on. And that's the side I err on for the comedians, the absurdists that I really, really like. Um, so I'm with you there, Zach. That's, that's how I would lean for Tom Green, that he has to be a very, very smart person. Um, and I think he, even before this movie, I, I think he's a, he is a very, very intelligent uh, comedian. I think he's also a very, very intelligent uh, person who understands how to market himself because really the reason he got famous going from his little Canadian like local access channel Tom Green TV show that you know got some traction, he really came into popularity because he got testicular cancer and made a whole TV show about it, sang songs about it. He was able to show yep. off that vulnerability to, and it was like, wow, this absurdist comedian who's going on t- uh, talk shows and shaving dead raccoons is then doing a serious thing talking about, like, you know, hey, kids, check your balls when you shower. It might save your life, that type of thing. And, yes, it's still absurd and it's still shock humor, but he was he knew to show off that vulnerability to pivot in that way from his own personal trauma to continue to make a name for himself, and that eventually gets him this movie. So I am I am totally in belief that he is a very, very intelligent comedian, uh, creative mind, and that this movie is artfully architected, if if that's the right way to say it. But, like, but that's what I mean, though. Is like, is this even a comedy? Like, is this like, – like, that's the thing. It's like, for the same reason why like, you can't classify something like Eraserhead, and I do hold this on that same like pantheon as Eraserhead, it's just like – it's indescribable. Sure. Like, is this a comedy? Like, this is this is just like it's it's insanity. Going like, it's insanity by yes, captured I, by cellular. I have many times in my notes saying that like, oh, this scene is the embodiment of chaos, and then I think almost every scene is the embodiment of chaos. Um, I I think I've said it before, but I, I want to reiterate. You know, we talk about movies. I think Speed Racer was a good example, and maybe a little bit last week with Josie and the Pussycats that those movies were in some way ahead of their time. I don't think this movie is ahead of its time. I think this movie is ahead of our reality. Yes. Per, per, it's funny. As I was watching <laughs> this, I was try, I was definitely – no, I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about this. I'm like like 20 years later, I'm like, would this movie even work today? And I don't think so because like, like A – it's weird to think of this. So, like, we live in a world where, like, someone like Tom Green would have thrived. Like, he wouldn't have been, like, oh, God, in the spotlight as much. Like, because obviously there's so much nonsense now with, like, YouTube culture. But 
At the same time, though, he's responsible for like antics of like Jake and Logan Paul. Yep. Like, yep. like he is definitely a trailblazer when it comes to like doing absurdist antics to get people's attention. So like I don't know, like you said, I don't think time is relevant. I think that's not even <laughs> yeah. like like a variable in this equation. But I think the idea that like he's just he's a trailblazer, I think that's one thing to know. Because like I don't think you get a lot of today's culture without him absolutely at the same time this film is such a like it's an art like you said it's like an artifact from an alternate reality yep yep absolutely and that's how i always view this and i think that's one of the reasons i love it and almost uh secondarily maybe even like a tertiary fact is that i happen to find it incredibly funny like that's what i mean though like i think this film is a perfect Oh, like it's crazy as it sounds because like I did not use this as a late night movie, but I did expose this to somebody. <laughs> and that's the thing you can't you don't show this movie to people you expose them to. Yes, it. it's, absolutely. It's, it, that that's the best way. That's the best verb to use. And that's the thing is it's it's so beyond comprehension. Like I think this film is the perfect cinematis litmus test. Because, like, I know, like, in one of the, like, the, I think it's in that Midnight Movies documentary where David Lynch is there. And he's like, I've known people who sit there, like, show a razor head to people, yeah. like, when they're in a new relationship. And I think Freddy Got Fingered is the perfect litmus test if you enjoy it, whether if somebody else laughs at it, if you have the same sense of humor. Because yeah. this movie is that, like, it's, like... I would say you probably can ca- you probably you could barely fill a phone booth with the amount of people that will find this genuinely funny. Oh, ab- absolutely. And I I'm glad you bring that up the litmus test because yes, definitely this is a litmus test for a very very specific sense of humor. I also have found in the the years that I uh as you correctly said exposed people to this that I think it's also a good litmus test for uh, some sense of open-mindedness. Because I don't think if, – if this movie is viewed as a comedy, I don't think it falls into one category of comedy. Of course, there's a lot of the shock humor. Like, yes, we do for some reason have Tom Green holding an erect horse penis. We do have him swinging a baby by the umbilical cord around a hospital room. That is very much shock humor. But then there's, a, there's things like – there's anti-jokes where he goes – when he meets <laughs> Betty and he says, you know – Geez, are our hospitals always this fun? And she's like, oh, no, no. I mean, sometimes people here die of cancer. And that's very much, that is an anti-joke. We have, we have absurdism where, you know, he's at the, the cheese sandwich shop scene in, this, in the back half of the movie where it's like, well, we can't have it getting out. The cheese, there's enough cheese on the cheese sandwich. You know, that whole thing. Is there a problem? Yeah, moron. I ordered a cheese sandwich and there's hardly any cheese in here. That's no good, is it? Here, give me your sandwich. I will fix it for you. We can't have people complaining that there's not enough cheese in the cheese sandwiches now, can we? I mean, if there's no cheese in a cheese sandwich, that's basically just two slices of bread. If word of that were to get out, well, I could lose my job. I could lose all of this! And we wouldn't want that now, would we? Would we? Would we? Ah! What the fuck am I supposed to do with that? Oh, you could stick it in your bum bum. You can put the cheese in your bum. There is so many different types of comedy in this movie that I I I would say that if actually people sat down and watched this, that they wouldn't be able to say the whole movie isn't funny. They would say like I didn't like a lot of it, but there might have been some jokes that work for you for for them. I and that's why I think this is a litmus test for are do you have some sense of open mindedness because this movie 
can absolutely and has, in my experience, turned people off in that first eight minutes. The first eight minutes, it ends with him, like, driving from Portland to Hollywood. There is so many different types of comedy in that first eight minutes that if you are just like, this is stupid, it's like, I have a little less respect for you because you can't think about this. It's eight minutes into a movie. It's like those people who say, I can tell if I'm going to like a song or not in the first 30 seconds. And I'm like, do you know what a progression is? What a movement is? A song in the first 30 seconds usually does not sound the same exact way for the other three and a half minutes. I, I definitely know. Like, but like, I think this film, like Tom Green has this film wear itself on its shoulder so well yes like that's the thing like i don't think it's open-mindedness because i think it's the idea that like it's so specific i'm trying to think like i think if you if you can get over the hurdle of him like like jerking the horse off like after he after the proud proud yeah i think i think the horse is like minute nine or something (laughs) that's what i mean if you can get over that like at that point it's pretty it's a pretty normal movie like the opening's a little odd but i think most people would be willing to accept that if you can get over the horse i think you're you're along for the ride but like like that's the thing though is that like I don't think it's open mindedness. I think this film is like like you said I think it's more of a litmus test. I think it's a litmus test into just how oh god ex- like like oh god understanding you are of experimental cinema. And that's the thing is that like is this avant-garde? Is it experimental? Is it absurdist? What sort of classification is this? Like how like that's the thing like I don't think this is a comedy. I in the same way like I don't think a racer head is a horror film. Sure. It's 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 beyond it transcends the typical genre. Yes, yes, I would agree with you there. Yeah. And I agree with what you say it's a litmus test for to see if you are open to experimental cinema. I I agree with you there. I think that's a subset of me saying it's a litmus test for open-mindedness, which I totally <laughs> I think I at least like I said, once again in my own experience, the people that are willing to get through this whether or not they find it's funny are the same people who will actually if I share something with them will, you know, go, let's check it out, you know, it, it's those, it's those good people in your life who say, oh, we have a relationship, we're friends, we're whatever, if you suggest something, there should be some merit to it, and I should check it out. The people who fail the Freddy Got Fingered litmus test are the same people who I mentioned last week, who when Rob goes, we should watch Babe 2, Pig in the City, and they go, you're stupid, I've known you for years, and I really respect you, but in this moment, I think you're an asshole. I think that's the difference, and this uh, movie falls into that category as well. This is a more extreme movie than Babe Pig in the City. I think that there are different connotations between, oh, Tom Green, Freddy Got Fingered, and the sequel to an out-and-out kids movie, but it falls into that same category for me. I, but this is the thing, though. I understand this isn't a movie for anybody. Like, this is, like, when it comes to, like, late-night movie, we're going to have a very, very fun conversation that might bleed into, like, the main discussion – but I don't like this is the definition of a movie that like this is a balls to the wall movie. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Like, like this is one of those movies that like it's kind of like I'm trying to think of what movie it was. But like it's you either accept the movie initially or you're not gonna accept it at all. Mm-hmm. Like this is like but like at the same time though, like I said, I don't want to get too far in the late night movie status, but like it's such an odd movie. You either are gonna have people who are turned off instantly. Or you get people are just are just like mesmerized by it and become like like along for the ride. Like that's excluding people like you and I. That's a that's a good point. You you and I are the exceptions to the rule because you and I are just like this is brilliant. There's nothing like it. I'm on board from the get go. Oh, from the from where, the get go. The moment where he's like, hi, 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 hi. 
I'm X-Ray Cat. I've got superpowers. I can see through wooden doors with my X-Ray vision. Wooden doors. I can see the criminal on the other side. He can't see me and he's committing crime. I come along and say, I can see you. He said, you can't see me. I say, yes, I can. With my X-Ray. X-Ray Cat. You can't get me. You can't get me. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. See a little... The bananas. I know a banana. Apply for jobs. Telephone repairman. Guy came and said, You want a job? Here? And he said, Yeah, I want to get jobs. Telephone repairman. He said, You got the job! You got the job, buddy! <laughs> and then the beavers came. The beavers started yelling at another beaver. The beavers started yelling at the other beaver. He said, You're stupid beaver! You're stupid! <laughs> The banana goes in for the job for the telephone repairman. You want the job? Yeah, I want the job. The telephone repairman. You got the job. You got the job. I'm like fucking sold. I'm like, how long is this movie? Show me the seven and a half hour cut. You know, I'm ready. <laughs> Release the Tom Green cut. Yes, but no, that you make a good point with that aspect that this movie is so odd and it, it can be so polarizing that there are probably better examples that could, should, and could be used as the litmus test for open mindedness that I'm describing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I don't just dis- like I don't disagree, but at the same time, though, is that like this is one of those movies that like you have to expose people to. Yes, but you have to realize they're gonna have a like most like the vast majority of people, overwhelming majority of people are going to have a negative response to this. Like, like this is a movie mm-hmm. that you should like, that, that should be, but at the same time, though, God, it's 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 only the people who respect this movie afterwards are such a super minority it's they're oh god tiny tiny's not strong enough for it it's infinitesimally small absolutely absolutely it's it's um it's unbelievable um and you know it's it's the thing that always blows me away though is that you know there it is such a small group of people that enjoy this movie i think or maybe enjoy respect find funny anything any positive connotation with this movie is so tiny but i have to say throughout the years that i've known about it and talking about it you know and and it usually does come up in the sense of um uh me mentioning it for some reason like i'll be like oh it's like that scene in freddy got fingered or it's on my hard drive and somebody sees it i feel like people do at least like i said once again in my experience people do know about this movie and I tell them I think it's one of the funniest movies of all time, and, you know, you don't have time to go into the whole diatribe like Zach and I are going to in this discussion, and the response is usually, really? So maybe it's a cultural osmosis thing. Maybe that this movie got so much hate back in the day that it just has transcended into, like, oh, that's that movie well, that's not porn, even though we might have thought it was, but it gets just so much, not distaste or hatred, it just immediately gets thrown to the side. I I don't know... If that's what it is, but like this, let me phrase this way. Or let me, let me uh, try to put this in a different way. I, I was watching a YouTube video last night about the TV show, the children's TV show, Caillou. Okay. And that TV show, apparently there's this thing like where everybody hates that show because the kid's just awful. I always hated that show when I was bald? forced to watch. <laughs> that's that one, right? 
Yes, that one. <laughs> but like in the video, like 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 the, whoever's doing the narration is talking about like, oh, it's like the sixth worst thing to come out of Canada. And of course, like a lot of other mm. things from Canada, they talk about like, it's like the Toronto Maple Leaves. Senator Ten Cruz is in there because all Republicans are evil. Because that's like, that, like in the lowest, the low hanging fruit when it comes to social media. And then like in the picture, it's a poster of Freddie Got Fingered. Oh, God. and that's the thing. I think when you reference Tom Green, this was the peak of his fame. Yes. Because if you show a poster, because like when you think of Freddie Got Fingered, the first thing that comes to mind is that poster of him. Yep, yep. And that's the thing. Like that became that was peak Tom Green. April two thousand one, that poster. And I think that's what it is. I think like that's kind of like the like when you think of Tom Green, this is what people think of. Like, yes, that you are hundred percent right, the cultural osmosis of it. But like when you think of Tom Green, this was the peak of his just biggest what's the word penetration into yeah. the pop culture zeitgeist. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's that's the thing of it. That's why when you reference this, most people know what it is because when you say Tom Green, this is what comes to mind because that was, this was peak Tom Green. Sure. I don't know if it's if it's the movie itself that they think of. They think of just the oh god, I don't even know what you would call it. It's kind of just the the most concise version of him possible. Oh yeah, that I definitely poster. think that this this poster and this movie are so in it. Well, one, well, one fundamentally, inextricably linked together. This movie and Tom Green because it is his movie. But I, I feel like in the in the the cultural osmosis aspect of it, these two go hand in hand. I mean, I I just, I think it's just people who really know Tom Green that know about the um his uh, Tom Green cancer special episode. I, I think, you know, the other thing that people know about Tom Green is this movie and him go together and that he's mentioned in um, the Real Slim Shady song by Eminem. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, I probably got a couple of screws up in my head loose, but no worse than what's going on in your parents' bedrooms. Sometimes I want to get on TV and just let loose, but can't. But it's cool for Tom Green to hump a dead moose. And... He's not a part of the Eminem song, and people just like that song, but when this movie or he gets brought up, they're tied together, and it's just kind of the thing of, you know, oh, this doesn't really have any cultural staying point in the the, the blasé masses, I would say. Oh, definitely. I, I 100% agree with that. But I guess it also comes down to the point as well that I just want to ask is is the idea that, like, Tom Green did this in the early 2000s, and obviously early – like I said, he was a trailblazer. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, though, like like we were saying too, that this was this is a movie that's not ahead of its time. It's almost from an alternate reality. Yes. But can we look? Like, is there an element? Like, is Tom Green responsible? And I'm using that word very, very loosely (laughs) for like the cultural rot we have in society right now. I like whereas uh... like you, but 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 this is why I meet Halsek. Before I finish this. Or finish the question is that like you look at like Logan and Jake Paul, which are clearly the most what the closest example to what Tom Green was in two thousand one, mm-hmm. and which are or maybe they're not. I don't know. Maybe a couple of years ago, that's sure. I, I don't yeah, know how sure. popular Logan and Jake Paul are anymore. But like you look at them, whereas everything they do seems arbitrary. We can now look back with twenty years of hindsight. They're like, oh, everything Tom Green for the most part did. Was with a purpose. Sure, sure. And that's the question. Is that like that's where the line where genius is? Is it like Logan and Jake Paul are basically charlatans? They're just taking advantage of a moment in time. And I'm not. 
I'm not blaming them. They're making a fortune off basically doing nothing. You'd be stupid not to take advantage of that. But I think that's the difference between like how Tom Green was saw seen then and now is that like was he a charlatan? I don't think so. No. I think he would have been doing this regardless of popularity. Oh, absolutely. I would agree with that 100%. I think the popularity just gave him a greater stage and budget to do all of his antics on. Yes, yeah, yeah. I I I think it's um it's it, it is a certainty that Tom Green and his him just do he's like I want to do this, I'm going to do this, you know, nobody's going to stop me type of thing. Um that that is responsible for like you said in in the loose sense for a lot of what we get today and and what you know comedy has evolved through not become today but has the the stages it's evolved through to get to where we are today and sure it's not just tom green of course we're not saying that but it is the things like you know tom green had to do this crazy stuff where of course freddy got fingered is a a film it's scripted there's sets you know there's actors that type of stuff but the thing that tom green does after this movie you know, of course, he never makes another movie again, but the stuff that he works on is very much like more of what our YouTube uh, culture becomes in, like, the late 2000s and, and the 2010s, where it's this stuff where I think um I think it's called something like Tom Green's Subway Monkey Hour is the thing he does after this, um, which you can find on YouTube in, like, terrible VHS quality. But it's basically he just goes to China and he does, like, a man-on-the-street type of goofy Tom Green type of thing. But the joke is that he doesn't speak Chinese and nobody in China speaks English, or at least the parts he goes to. So it's all just goofiness, you know, and, and absolute insanity. But, I mean, this is the stuff that, that now we get, or we had gotten, the YouTubers that do this stuff. We get, what is it, uh, uh, Billy Eichner, Billy on the Street, or whatever it was called, that people oh, just yeah. go gaga over. And that's all the stuff Tom Green was doing. And not that he was the first or anything, but I do think that there are certain ebbs and flows in the way in what our culture of course we're speaking of american culture what we find or north american i guess what we find funny as a culture there's certain ebbs and flows because it's like you look at things where you know we have tom green doing just goofy on the street stuff that you know in not, once again not in freddie got fingered but in like his show uh in the subway monkey hour in his like prank star stuff that you can only find clips of because he never released the full thing of it's all like man on the street and it's all just doing crazy shit and you think of the time where it's like well why did people hate that but then people go absolutely bonkers over things like your jackasses that when you know Johnny Knoxville dresses up as an old man and falls down on the street in front of people and people love that you have um the Andy Milanakis show that people go crazy over a much smaller group of people than jackass but they go crazy over that and so, and then eventually, you know, we hit this phase where everybody's like, oh, God, every reaction is just staged, and this is stupid. We hate this type of comedy. They're like, nothing can be funny if it's staged. And then everything turns around, and it's like, oh, no, Billy on the Street's great. And then it's like, oh, no, uh, Impractical Jokers is fantastic. That's one of the best shows of our time. And then it takes the turn again, where it goes, no, everything's staged. This is stupid. So I definitely think there's a level of ebbs and flows to comedy that we get this kind of inspiration and something I love to talk about and I totally believe in. Somebody has to fall on their sword first before something can be successful. I think in comedy there's so many waves and kind of, you know, ebbs and flows to it that someone has to fall on their sword with a type of comedy maybe every five years to bring back the wave of things that people like, if that whole rant makes sense. And this is, this is something I did want to talk about. I think we're getting into good territory because even though I'm with you, is this movie technically a comedy? Who knows? 
Maybe this is a thriller in whatever reality it comes from. We don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe it's a you know romantic drama in whatever reality it comes from. But I think it does bring up a very very important discussion that we did back in our you know sketch comedy series. I did back when Zach was not here when we talked about the spoof movies. Is that comedy is very very subjective and that's why it's so interesting to talk about. But. So what do you think about that idea? That I'm with you that this is responsible in some way for what we get, but I do think that there's so much timing, like long-scale timing in comedy. Like, if this movie came out, you know, a few years earlier, a few years later, would the narrative be different? Maybe. I think that's what I'm getting at. Um, That's the thing. I'm not entirely – like I said, it comes down to basically, I would say, just perception – Okay. Of, of, of just Tom Green as just what he is, like 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 what he was at the time in two thousand, like I guess the late nineties, early two thousands, because he was this huge pop culture figure. And yes, you do need that level of like a reset to like what's funny, what's entertainment. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. It's interesting though, is that like why is it that like a year later, Jack, uh, a year later in two thousand two, Jackass the movie comes out. And that is celebrated and lauded. Yes. And yet, and yet Tom Green is discarded. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I know, I'm not sure in your research for this if you saw this, but like Tom Green, like a few years ago, had like a theory that this movie would have done a lot better. The, except Dun- the, people, the Crocodile Dundee yes, thing. Yes. I'm kids sorry. Were, we talked about this off mic. Kids were buying tickets to Crocodile Dundee three or four or whatever it was and then sneaking into my movie. <laughs> exactly. And I think he's probably not wrong, but I don't think it would have made that much of a difference in the box office. Sure, sure. But I, but but like that's why I mean though is that like it's kind of like what you were saying that like the first person through the wall loses the most amount of teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that's the thing. But like where Jackass is clearly looking for to elicit a laughter or an eye roll, this is just so beyond the pale and so absurd. Once again, going to the term absurdism. I think like it's it, it it transcends that. Like we're like you watch Johnny Knoxville get like oh god like uh what's the word like like a bull like he's like has like the Toro flag like when they sit there do that like, oh, like yeah. wave the flag and he gets like knocked in the groin. That's trying to elicit a laugh. When Tom Green takes his home, cuts it out, and then brings it to Pakistan so his father Rip Torn can fall out of it, that is like. What reaction is he trying to elicit from the audience? Oh yeah, no that that's a good point, and I think also in that in that whole the last basic you know set piece of this movie is in uh it take the the movie set in Pakistan is filmed in Tunisia, um which is also crazy that they went to Tunisia for this goddamn yes, movie exactly. <laughs> but but I mean I'm with you is that you know. It's it's something that I've I've taken, and when we get to whenever we fucking get to context, who knows the structure of this episode? Yeah, this is going to come yeah, up. I know. But but I I definitely take it as you know, and with his shock humor before and after this, with Tom Green's once again humor in air quotes. The whole idea is he's doing it because he wants to do it. I feel that whole thing about you know cutting the ho- part of the house out to take Rip Torn to Pakistan to prove whatever point. Gord is trying to prove to his father in the background Tom Green's like this is the way that my brain worked out for me to have my Buster Keaton moment in my movie because the house falls on him and he goes through the window <laughs> and it's him it's not a stunt double it's him so I totally see Tom Green like I want to have my Buster Keaton moment and this is the this is the the straight line from point A to point B in my brain but is he that 
God. Is he that knowledgeable to be like, okay, this is my Buster Keaton moment? I think so. Yeah. Or or do I or do I want to do this because it looks fun? Well, I, I I think it's a it's a confluence of both. Where I'm sure that he's aware of the Buster Keaton. I mean, who isn't aware? Well, maybe they don't know it's Buster Keaton, but everybody's seen the goddamn you know the dude standing there and the house falls on him. He goes through the window or the wall of the house, whatever. I I totally feel like he would see that. Maybe Tom Green isn't looking at it as or isn't looking at Buster Keaton as the you know pioneer of cinema that m- maybe some people do, but I think he sees that and goes, "That looks like fun. I want that moment in my movie." I think it could be both. That's like I think, but that's where like the divide comes from for me, where it's like, okay, doing this is because we can do it is one thing. But it comes down to, once again, like, are we doing this because there's a greater purpose to it? Are we thinking about it? Like, anybody can make a rash decision in the moment. Mm -hmm. It comes down to planning of it all. It's like, okay, we're just going to do this. And I think that's where, like, like, much like in the Red Letter Media discussion, they're talking about the movie. And they're like, is the movie this weird sort of just like, oh, God. I, what would be analogy, metaphor for, like, Tom Green sure. getting a $14 million budgeted film? Is it like, is he just doing these things because he can? But we also know from the behind the scenes footage, it's hard. Like, an insane amount of planning goes into a movie yes. to do anything arbitrary. You don't do anything arbitrary when you make a movie, which means he had to think about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, 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 what research, like, okay, in your research for this, do you have any behind the scenes knowledge? Because, like, like, in the Red Letter Media discussion, they talk about how, like, apparently there was a, an orig- a different director, not Tom Green, involved with this. And the director like walk like, like like walked away from the project. Like, what sort of like history like did you sit there find about this? Because I, I couldn't find a lot of a lot of concrete stuff about the making of this film beyond what's in like the DVD. Yeah, yeah. DVD. I I um I've never found anything you know grand. At least I remember I watched that Red Letter Media thing years ago whenever it came out, and I remember them saying things about this that I had never heard before, and I have never found anywhere to back up that type of thing. I've, so I don't know. I've never found anything like that. And and my knowledge is I I have, you know, when I got this movie on my hard drive and I fell in love with it, I started to com- collect, like, all the extra features and stuff that I could find. So I have a slew of, uh, I'm sure, stuff that is on the DVD. I know I have stuff that's, like, TV specials that they put on MTV to just to promote the movie and things like that. I have a bunch of different stuff. But I, I've, uh, as far as I can tell, as far as I've heard... Um, this is just always, you know, somebody or Tom Green or somebody wanted Tom Green to make a movie, and this was his project through and through. I rem- I didn't rewatch the Red Letter Media thing for this recording. I mean, my my research for this recording, if you consider my research for this recording to be what I did in like the past week, was just to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I've done the research of like looking into this movie throughout years of my life and uh, and things of that nature, uh, but I've never heard any of that background stuff that red let a lot of the background stuff red letter media mentioned that i remember them mentioning like i said but i wonder how much of that stuff and like like the context and just history to this is like lost the time because a lot sure. of it just probably just got like not gossip that's not fair but a lot of just like stuff that people just didn't record because they threw this movie away exactly exactly yeah like i said like even tom green hasn't really done a lot of interviews regarding this mm-hmm mm-hmm other than like his like thing like his frustration over the fact that it didn't do better. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But but at the same time though, he must have known like this was never going to be a breakout success because there really was like like it wasn't until the next year with Jackass the movie that there was ever any sort of just like wide appeal yeah. template for this sort of like film. Yep, and yep. that's the thing where at least Jackass has the visceral nature. I just think 
Jackass has the visceral nature of it being like, wow, like, I, like, like, look at this thing. Yeah. And it also has like, it's, it has the foundation of a TV series that's run for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This had none of that other than just like, Tom Green's antics were always niche. They always just got kind of like attention, like in the MTV sphere yep. of the early 2000s or the late 90s, early 2000s. So, like, like that's the thing is that, like, 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 who was this movie made for? I, I'm with you. I, I don't think that Tom Green went into this completely thinking like he was going to change the game or change the comedy landscape or anything. I think a lot of this movie primarily comes from, as we were saying, his desire to do these things. Um, he has this comedy and he wants to do it he, and he sticks behind it. But I, I would expect and I would think that somewhere in the back of his head he was thinking it might happen. Maybe misguidedly. But I mean, at the, I, I think we do it with our uh, cinemodity, Tales from the Cinemodity's Restaurant Anthology movie. Is that going to change the world when that finally comes out? Probably not. Would we like it to? Yeah. Do we hope it will? Yeah. It's a little thought in the back of our head. I think Tom Green's in, this, in that same was in that same boat making this but, movie. But the thing though, did he go to somebody? Did he like? Did he have? Did he want to make this, or did they come to him? From what I've read, he wanted to make this and had trouble finding anybody to produce it. And then he finally found Regency. But like, that's the thing though. Is like, this movie is just so bonkers. Is that like like what is it that he like what is the author's message? What is it? Is it just I'm just gonna do what I want? And then like there's even like the thing at the very end, which to me is like the ultimate just kind of like it's the fantastic like just like final chapter. And I think this is infinite I find this so fascinating on like so many levels, is the person at the tarmac holding the sign that says <laughs> when the fuck is this movie going to end yes that is a, that is a great shot and uh do you know what there's an in that same shot with that person holding up that poster there's another poster do you know what the other poster says what you rock my brown hole <laughs> <laughs> and of course everybody's eyes are always drawn to that one because the the way that the camera pans that's the 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 when the fuck is this movie going to end the first poster that enters frame but once the camera settles on that shot you see the when the fuck is this movie going to end the other poster just says you rock my brown hole <laughs> i know it's so funny i've never noticed that until now where you bring it to my attention because i always every time i see that one the other one i find that infinitely more like hilarious oh yeah, oh, yeah i course. love ending your movie like is your movies about to conclude with somebody holding a sign in the crown that says when the fuck will this movie end oh it's one oh it's wonderful i, I find that so goddamn do hilarious you, do, do, do you think that still exists because i would love to own that i would <laughs> love to have that like i have like a, like a oh god like a movie prop auction like okay and for a listing 1812 we have the freddy got fingered <laughs> poster of when will of the the sign when the fuck will this movie end and zach's like, like two million and they're like <laughs> we were about to start the bidding at uh, like a gift card or something <laughs> yeah, a, gift card. a gift card to sizzler <laughs> i mean i hope I so i would i would have many i would love to have many props from this movie even though most of them get destroyed at some point during the movie <laughs> i would imagine even like those at the home for the sexually molested i yes. want that yes. <laughs> i want that i want all the props from freddie got fingered uh, okay do you want okay right now because this is like a break in the conversation do we want to go back to context for this for a second like circle back to that yeah i do want to talk about context because this is this is one of the more 
uh, lengthy and important context I think I have that, that I've had in a while for 2001. And But, okay, okay, so I uh, did not see this movie when it came out. I'm assuming, Zach, you don't have a ticket stub for this one. That'd be crazy if you did. I, and Zach's like, no, I, I have a it. ticket stub for Crocodile Dundee 3. <laughs> I wish. I wish I'd saw I'd seen this in theaters. The first time I had... I ever heard about this movie was, of course, in the early 2000s, but it wasn't through an advertisement, or at least not that I remember. The first memory I have of this movie, I should say, which I believe is the first time I heard of this movie, um, was in the early 2000s. I had to be – fifth grade would be the early end, uh, maybe middle school, maybe sixth grade or something like that. I very vividly – for some reason I remember this. I was hanging out with my friend Grace. Shout out to Grace, who I haven't talked to in like – 10 years or something, Um, but one of my earliest friends, I remember she was at my house, same house that you know, Zach, of my parents, and I remember her sitting down at my dad's piano, which I'm sure you know as well, the piano and my my parents downstairs, and I remember sitting down, hitting the keys, and saying, Daddy, would you like some sausage? And I had no idea what that meant, and I was like, "What? what is that? And she was like, oh, it's from that movie, Freddy Got Fingered, and I had no idea what that movie was. And I don't think it really – what she said really stuck with me. I think I was too young to understand what fingering was at that point. So it's not like I was like, whoa, what's that movie, you know? Um, But it stuck with me. It stuck in my head. And it's still to this day, it sticks with me every time I think about this movie that someone else actually like did the daddy would you like some sausage thing in front of me on a piano. Um, It stuck in my head for so long that you know I I started to, I think, uh, separately – get really into Tom Green. Like, once I got a little older, maybe in, like, the middle school, the, the high school, late middle school, high, uh, early high school, I definitely was more into getting into Tom Green. I love that absurdist humor stuff. You know, this was also uh, when I found Freaked on HBO, which we talked about in our episode way, way back when, and how I was just so drawn to that weird style of humor um, and everything in that movie. But I got more into Tom Green in the sense of his show, his stuff on MTV, the um the the cancer special and things like that. I know that the the cancer special was ahead of my time or before my time really, because uh, that was in the '90s and I would have been you know maybe like six or seven when that happened I think. But I I would hear about it like through VH1 specials or stuff that I was watching. So I became more interested in Tom Green, and I I don't truly remember the first time I saw this movie, but I do remember that when I moved away from New York. And I went to my undergrad, and I started my whole, like, I got my hard drives, I want files, I hate that everybody, that was the time period in 2010 where everybody thought nothing would ever be removed from Netflix, and I was like, you're all fools, you're all wrong, this is media that you are not in control of is fleeting, I need to be in control of this stuff, and Freddy Got Fingered was one of the first things I found and had to get on my hard drive. There was some reason I was like, I need to get this movie. And I, I did... Uh, watching it in my undergrad, my freshman year undergrad in late 2010 is the, the truly the first time I remember watching this movie. And I think that's because this came at a very important time in my life, a pure confluence of events that just like truly changed like my trajectory of my personality. Because in a span, in a span of few months from when I graduated high school, moved to Pennsylvania, went to my undergrad, living in my dorm with my, you know, random roommate and a bunch of other goofy people that I ended up meeting, that these things happened. I found Freddy Got Fingered and showed it, exposed it to people, exposed people to it. 
A few months before I moved away was the time I discovered Animal Collective. When I first started in my undergrad, this was when I also discovered, I guess the best way to put it is alternative computer technology, like your Linux, your Dvorak keyboards and stuff like that. And I got so into this stuff, and it almost became like, I, I know this, and I wear this as a badge of honor. I was the weird guy in my freshman dorm, because this was the thing. I would listen to Animal Collective that was just straight up, like, I mean, 2010, Meriwether Post Pavilion had come out, which is their pop album, but I was going through everything, and I was listening to, like, you know, Spirit They've Gone, Spirit They've Vanished, which is just tracks of feedback and noise and screaming, and people would be like, oh, like, Rob listens to that music. And then when I would stop listening to that music, they'd be like, what do you want to watch? And I'd be like, Freddy Got Fingered, Freaked, Thanks Killing, things of that nature. And then it was like, what am I doing on the weekend nights where, you know, my roommate is going out and getting incredibly drunk? I was like, I need to figure out how to make my background a constantly moving aquarium on my computer and shit like that. So this was the confluence of many things in my life. And I definitely became known as the weird dude in my dorm. But I didn't give a fuck. And this is this is the thing that goes back to what I appreciate about Tom Green. I think he's doing things things and he doesn't care what other people say i didn't care about what other people were saying like i would show somebody freaked and they'd be like this is nonsense this is goofy and i'd be like sucks sucks for you like i'm having a good time i would listen to animal collective people like how can you listen to this and i'm like i like it i don't care what you think and it just became such a thing that I'm not saying I was unpopular in my in my dorm or anything like that. I had a, a good group of people that would actually sit and watch this stuff with me and like actually listen to it. And I remember that people would get at me and be like, this is crazy. You listen to the most insane shit. You watch the most insane shit. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care what you think. I wish you liked it because we could bond over it. But you not liking it isn't going to change the fact that I absolutely am enthralled by all this stuff. And then... After time went on, like, we spent all the time together with my roommate, with my friends in my dorm, even other people. Like, we'd have our door open, we'd have Animal Collective on or something like that. Slowly but surely, we'd have, like, my roommate. We'd have uh, my good buddy LaShawn, who's been on this podcast before. We'd have my girlfriend at the time. We'd have anybody that lived in that dorm. would be like, oh, wow, you know, it's like... Animal Collective is actually pretty good. Like, this, some of this music's pretty interesting. Or we'd watch, like, Freddy Got Fingered for the millionth time, and it would be like, oh, wow, some of this is actually pretty pretty intriguing. And, and it would start to grow on certain people, probably because of Stockholm Syndrome, but it started to grow on people. And my response to this was, I still don't care. I don't care what you think of this. I'm doing it because I like it. And as they say, the rest is history because now I watch Freddy Got Fingered probably once every six months, no matter who I'm with or what I'm doing. And it is just, it was a truly formative time in my life that Freddy Got Fingered came with things like the Dvorak keyboard, 
which that's the one thing I say people still have not gotten into. People fucking want to punch me when they sit down at my computer and they hit a button. They hit the Q key and an A comes out because I don't have a Dvorak keyboard. I just have the setting changed. But I mean, Odd Sack came out in 2010, Zach. I was watching that with people. It was truly a great moment in my life where I found all these different things. And f- I'm proud to say Freddie Got Fingered was one of them. And that's my context of Freddie Got Fingered. <laughs> That is a lot more than I expected, folks. That was a lot more than I expected. <laughs> Very important. Very important movie to my life, and uh, and it's 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 always going to be that. Oh, God. My, for once, Rob beats me in the context game. Um, that goes, I, I so was... Crocodile Dundee. I saw the first movie. <laughs> well, it was really funny. I remember wanting to see Crocodile Dundee, like, goes to Los Angeles in that, like, time frame. And just my parents just didn't take me because it just was like, um, it was one of those. <laughs> um, I all I knew who Tom Green was in that time period because like he was enough enough of a presence that like even he would like trickle down to my world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I never watched anything of his, but like I I was aware of him as an entity. I know my mother just like was like oh, that Tom Green because again he was somebody that would show up on probably like the cable news enough. Um, and I, I, again, I knew he made a movie called Freddy Got Finger because this was that same time, like in the summer of 2001, where like, I would go through like the weekly brochures and you would see like release, like all the pictures, like in the Best Buy, Circuit City, Walmart ads for like the new DVDs coming out. So I always, again, and, and everybody knows that like poster art of him. Uh, so like I always knew to connect him to this. I never really. Oh God! I never really thought of him again after that. Like he would show up like in conversation. Like my main memory of him during the like forever has always been his uh him as Drew Barrymore's girlfriend in the first Charlie's Angels movie, sure, yep. where he's like he's like on the tugboat like in his like red pajamas onesie, and he's like the Chad, the Chad, and he just like falls <laughs> off the side of the tugboat with like 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 his like skillet of like breakfast. Um, that was always my main like like understanding and knowing of him. And then it was – I probably would say that it wasn't until the um, Red Letter Media thing where I'm like, OK, I should probably delve into this based on like everything they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then like Rob and I just started talking about it a couple of years ago, and it's like, yeah, this is this is a masterpiece. Yep. Like I always appreciated Freddy Gottfinger once I saw it, but it wasn't until like Rob and I really started like dissecting it that like it was like, OK, this is nothing short of brilliance. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's like pretty much my context. Like I know I bought the DVD a couple of years for it. I'm so glad I did. I love having uh, a physical copy of this. It still to this day has never been released on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently we'll just talk, talk probably a little about this later. Uh, maybe now that like there's more like footage of it. Apparently like I, I, I didn't see anything about this, but apparently Tom Green has talked about releasing an, like an, a longer cut of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think but like, the last just, time that was mentioned was on a Reddit AMA, um, which are, you know, totally nobody can fake that. I mean, I mean, who knows? It could have been Tom Green on that AMA. I just know Reddit AMAs are notorious for not being the actual people they say they are a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I'd love to see more of this. But at this time, it looks like it's a film that's, I'd yeah. say, almost entirely been – it exists – it still exists. It's not forgotten. It exists, though, but it's held with a very, very high level of disdain. Yes, yes. And I, I mean, I think, well, well, there's many things to talk about in response to that. One, the precedent has been set 
Cinemodities did an episode on Southland Tales, and a few months later, they re-released it on Blu-ray. The precedent has been set, Zach, that we have influence on everything. Not just not just physical media, but everything. That's how I'm everything. taking it. Yes. <laughs> so, one, the precedent, precedent has been set there. Uh, two, I, I think that... To to say something that I know we talked about in our um, three year extravaganza that when one of our fans reached out to us to to pitch a movie to make sure it did not go into continual obscurity, that is something I definitely consider myself like a vanguard of for this movie. Like I will never not tell somebody about this movie type of thing. That even though I'm still in the in the phase and and the belief that, you know, I don't care if you like it or not, I am totally of the mindset that people should know about this movie. And I think this is one of the reasons why I've wanted to talk about this since we started this podcast. Hell, I would have wanted to talk about it, you know, even if we aren't doing a podcast. But it is something that, you know, like I said, if we're going through my hard drive and somebody sees this movie, I'm going to want to talk about it. Even if they skip over it for some reason, which is rare, because how do you skip over a movie called Freddy Got Fingered, that I'm going to bring it up type of thing. And it'll be like, oh, we're scrolling through my hard drive. They're looking for something. We'll get to the F section, and I'll be like, you ever hear of Freddy Got Fingered? So I am totally on board for that. (laughs) But I think more importantly, the precedent is set that I know Southland Tales had a Blu-ray release before we did our episode, but we, we can do it. This episode will come out. It'll break ground. And we will have a, a Freddy Got Fingered Blu-ray. I'm saying that. This is like our, my affirmation for the day. We will get a Freddy Got Fingered Blu-ray. We will get a Freddy Got Fingered but this Blu-ray. Is, <laughs> but this is the thing, though. Didn't, like, okay, Regent, it was what? Rev, Regency or Revolution Studios that made this? Regency. Are they even, like, like solvent? Ah, I mean, maybe we need to set the precedent precedent that we can bring a company back into existence. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't mean it in that sense. I mean, like, who would even own the right? Yeah, like, that... Who owns the rights to this? Absolutely. That's like, the, yeah. like, like, that's the thing that I find the like, like interesting about this whole like, like everything revolving around Freddie Got Fingered is like, I just wonder is it like, like, how is it that like all these weird super bizarre like titles like again like rob and i have talked about like there's a movie called the suckling about like it, like an aborted fetus that, that becomes a monster yes and i'm like how does that that get a blu-ray release before <laughs> freddie got fingered how mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. how is it that, like all the like how does wicked world get a blu-ray release all these just really like esoteric just like bananas movies yep. gonzo movies get this like this movie still exists in the pop culture mm-hmm. how is it this hasn't gotten a blu-ray release yet I'm, and like I'm that's, i don't know i hate it like if it exactly but like that's why i mean though so like i'm thinking that it's probably a rights release thing where like whoever it is owns the rights or just nobody wants to have like basically do the legal entanglement of the rights yeah yeah absolutely i mean what i mean i think we haven't talked about it a lot but i, I maybe it came up when we discussed a racer head that, isn't that one of the things with David Lynch stuff? There's so many people that have stakes in those movies. The t- untangling the rights is just a nightmare. I think it was David Lynch. It might have been someone Probably. else we talked about it with. Probably. But it's just like there's so many weird European companies or people that have financial stakes in his movies that it's just like nobody wants to deal with that Gordian knot. And it might be the case for this as well. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. It's like I'm just like it's just it's fascinating because we don't know. There's yeah. so little information on this. It just it it makes you it just boggles the mind. Absolutely. Like, okay, like this thing actually got made, got released by a major studio twenty years ago, and yet like it, it still exists. It hasn't been forgot. Like the um, 
Oh God. The specifics have been forgotten, mm-hmm. but not like this. The what's the word? Sh- sheer existence of it. That yeah, is. yeah, exactly. And that's the shame of it, though, because this film, like whether you like, like, I get being disgusted by this film. I get being turned off by it. Mm-hmm. I can't see hating this film. Mm, yep. yep. I, I, I get being like, oh, this is disgusting, being reviled by it. That I'll never question. Someone's like, oh, this movie's disgusting. I would never be. I'd be like, OK, fair enough. Fair enough, but I can't see like hating this film. Yeah, that's I'm I'm with you there. That it always baffles me if if there's complete complete dismissal of this movie in that in that hatred sense where it's like no you what, what, I think it goes back to once again the idea that you know if you see that the Toronto Star gave this movie a negative one out of five and don't think oh there is some greater purpose to this movie's existence you have fundamentally misunderstood the entire concept of humans ability to create things i think but i think but that's very very open-minded of you though (laughs) that is insanely open-minded of you and i think by your laughter you're conceding the point oh sure sure (laughs) and that's the thing like where you and i like like you and i are like kind of just like amused and intrigued by how like people like just dummies classify things Mm -hmm. I think most people, when they see something like that, just like like they take it at face value. They're not like that's the thing. People are also are inherently not intrigued by anything anymore. They take everything yeah. at face value. Yeah, and I think that is to this film and anything that's slightly unique's detriment. Absolutely, hundred percent. It has. We've talked about it before, but comedy in this era is template based. Where if it does not yes. fit into the same exact template, it's not going to be considered anything uh, worth noting. It has to be extremely digestible, and if it's oh, not yeah. extremely digestible, it is immediately discarded. Yes, which which is one of the things that does baffle me about how this movie hasn't had a resurgence in our meme-driven comedy culture. This movie is almost a vignette, a, a slew of vignettes or memes. <laughs> exactly, because like, I, okay, this is something like Rob and I like. We were like planning our recording time for this. And I sent Rob like a text message and he's like, what does this mean? And I'm like, you're telling me it wasn't clear. And like, I look up, <laughs> Freddie got finger gifs. Like there was like a million that could apply to like something being just, like unintelligible. And I'm yep. like, there you-. I literally, it was a treasure trove. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the thing. Like there's so many memes about this. Like they're just like waiting. And yet it's kind of just odd. Cause like, I guess part of the context that I forgot to bring up was it was like, I, I, again, I had not thought about this film in forever. And then this was like I, my first semester of college. Sal found this website where it was a bunch of just like flash memes. And one of them was like it was like basically like – basically it was a GIF with sound. That's essentially sure. what the site was. And one of them was, Daddy, would you like some sausage? Yep. Daddy, would you like some sausages? It basically just played on ref- I, I, like repeat until you refresh the page. Sausage. Oh, sausage. look, honey, our boy's sausage. a genius. He's rigged a pulley system so he can eat sausage and work on his stupid drawings. I'm being creative. Now, if you'll excuse me, I still have some work to do. Daddy, would you like some sausage? Daddy, would you like some sausages? Daddy, would you like some sausage? Sausages! Sausages! And that's... Like that was what I'm like, oh, like that's I'm like, what is this from? Like that's Tom Green, but what is this from? He's like, and Sal's like, oh yeah, it's from Freddie Got Fingered. And Sal was detested by by Tom Green. He thought Tom Green was extremely low brow. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's the thing is that like even the like that's the thing like it's like Tom Green and Freddie Got Fingered live in this weird sort of just like Goldilocks zone of like like normies detest it and then like people like Sal who like again Sal's a very complex person who knows what he's like now considering I haven't really seen or spoken to him in a decade sure it's it's just that like if him ten years ago couldn't appreciate this. What and Sal? I think I think Rob can corroborate this. Sal was also an eccentric person at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, if he can't even appreciate this, what hope do we have for anybody else? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I I'm totally with you. The 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 hope for this g- getting any type of you know positive mass response in this day and age is is very very low <laughs> to put it uh, kindly i think but i mean i i this movie is so it's so strange to me that that level of detest that we're talking about or disdain for this movie and that it it's kind of like once again to make the music analogy it's like a song i mean I, it's it's one of the weirdest things that always gets me is that there are people who are just like you know i don't like x song or x band or x type of music whatever and then it's just kind of like a complete polarization or extreme thing they're like either i like it or i don't and it's always so weird to me because one of the conversations i've regularly had with people about music is like i'll talk to somebody about music whether or not it's you know about if it's someone who really appreciates certain music or dislikes certain music or whatever just anybody i'll talk to them and i'll describe how it's like oh i'll listen to music and i'll i'll basically you know I guess, in, for lack of a better term, nitpick the composition. Like, one of the things that is big is back when 21 Pilots came around, I was like, I really like 21 Pilots, but, like, there's certain songs where it's like, I, I wish they would have had, you know, like, another pickup note there. I wish that they would have done this. or Like, this this was a, a, a rising arpeggio, which I would have preferred it to be falling. And I have these conversations with people that I, like, have thought these thoughts on composition of music, and they're like, really? You think about music that way? And I'm like, yeah, don't, don't you? Doesn't everybody? And they're like, no, it's music. It's either you like it or you don't. But these same people will watch movies and go, oh, we should have changed this about the intro, or I didn't like the ending. It's the same goddamn thing. Me saying that I wanted another anacrusis in a song is the same thing as saying, oh, I would have liked that to be set up better at the start of a movie. But for some reason, there's this divide where people can critique movies and composition of movies in that fine-grained way, but they can't do it for music. But the overlap that I want to get at is that for Freddy Got Fingered, they view it as a song. They either like it or they don't like it. There is no discussion for most of these people about like, oh, it would have worked better if we added this pickup note here, if we added this and this setup here or something like that. It's just this extremely polarizing, almost objective decision that gets made so quickly, if that makes sense. Well, well because I think you're I think the va- I think <sighs> Tom Green is such a unique filmmaker, I think, to uh, put that in the most concise, kind way, sure. po- kind way possible. <laughs> Is like what other reaction are you gonna have to this? There's really no room. Yep. You're yeah. right. It's one of those things where like you're either on board for it or you're not. And there's no wiggle room there. I think that's why the the music analogy is so apt for this movie and probably for Tom Green as a whole, because the maybe for maybe to get at what I was saying in that in that last long part of my rant is that maybe when you see movies, <laughs> people are very, very easy to see that there are different parts to it. You know? They're able to see like, oh, this is Whatever, whatever we want to call it, you know, they're able to see that it is a, a coming together of different layers of things that make the movie as a whole, where maybe for music, more people are like, it's just the music. If, if you're not as well versed in it, you, you don't really say like, oh, this is the lyrics, this is the band, they think it's one product. And if there's anything to I say think- about this movie, it's one product. 
I think it comes down to like eliciting an emotion. I think, sure, I think, sure. I, I, I think when like so something like Freddie got fingered, it, it elicits a very strong reaction either way. And I Absolutely. think when something is, and it goes back to polarization. I think when it's one way or the other, black and white, there is no gray area when it's that on on the nose. I yeah, and I, I think that's that's another reason that the the it, it works. The, this that same thing works for music as well. That it it is so ingrained to elicit an emotion, and this movie does that so immediately that it is very different like we it's i'm gonna put the clip in probably multiple times just tom green screaming at his artwork at the start of this movie hi 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 i'm x-ray cat i've got superpowers i can see through wooden doors with my x-ray vision wooden doors i can see the criminal on the other side he can't see me and He's committing crime. I come along and say, I can see you. He said, you can't see me. I say, yes, I can. With my x-ray. X-ray cat. You can't get me. You can't get me. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. See a little. The bananas. I know a banana. Live for jobs. Telephone repairman. Guy came and said, you want a job here? And he said, yeah, I want to get jobs, telephone impairment. I said, you got the job! You got the job, buddy! <laughs> and then the beavers came. The beavers started yelling at another beaver. The beavers started yelling at the other beaver. He said, you're stupid beaver! You're stupid! <laughs> Is the best start to this film, where a lot of other things, they just kind of, you know, slowly work you into it. You know, there's... You're actually you remember that you're watching a movie where when I put on Freddy Got Fingered, it's like I'm just putting on a track. I'm listening to a song again type of thing. And maybe that's it for a lot of people where this this movie is so much of a unique thing that it is almost like just listening to a song and they have this immediate reaction to it. I mean, I think I could put myself in the shoes of, you know. I, uh, it's not a song, but it's a great example for this. Baby Shark. I hear Baby Shark and I want to stab my ears. I'm sure there are some people that this, they start this film. Tom Green is screaming at his artwork about the x-ray cat and repeating himself in that very musical tone. Like I said at the start, you know, he can see through wooden doors with my x-ray vision, wooden doors. And he's repeating himself, a beaver, stupid beaver. And some people are like, I, I want to stab my eyes and ears. Like okay, you're a hundred percent correct. But I think what that boils down to is once again, is that like this film knows what it is. Yes. And people like like I said, like you you know, it's it's like it's like a fine wine. You like, like one sip or a thousand, you're always gonna be the same about it. I think it's. It takes a very specific – it's kind of like if you – like think about like you have a very specific type of wine with a very unique flavor. Mm-hmm. The wine doesn't change. The individual does. Sure, sure. And I think that's what this movie is. You either learn to accept it or you don't, and I think that's what it comes down to. It, this film is an acquired taste. That's probably the most concise way of describing it. That is – I, I, I couldn't agree more, and I mean you know that – there are certain things that, you know, maybe we've discussed on this podcast and we even just talked about tangentially that fall into that category as well. I, I think the the thing that comes up in a similar fashion, at least in my history, um, because I don't know how much you share it with people if you do at all, uh, things that elicit such an immediate response, similar to Freddie Got Fingered or Tom Green as a whole, um, crud bump. 
the the parody of rap. There are so many people that I think, you know, they hear a crud bump song and it starts with, I want to eat people for real. This is not a joke. And then it goes on for two minutes. They're either checked in or checked out. There is no in between, it seems. Human flesh for real It's not a joke I want to taste it in my mouth It's not a joke But I think like the difference between you and I And a lot of other people is like you and I Can be like I don't like this But I can appreciate The artistry or craft behind Yes it. see our Silence of the Lambs episode Absolutely <laughs> Well like even like Dr. Sleep Like you and I both real I, I acknowledge that like Dr. Sleep Is a cinematic just It's, it's cin- cinematic evil <laughs> But we can at least be like Okay the majority of people involved with this Weren't aware of that aspect of it Yeah and we can also say you know everything's in focus And things like that <laughs> Sure sure like it's competently made yeah, Even though yeah. it comes from a place of hatred but, like, I think that's what it is, is that, like, not to say that we're better than the the casual moviegoer. <laughs> like, we are. I just don't want to be so, like, what's the word, on the, like, surface about it. But I think that's what it boils down to, is that, like, most people live in live in the world of McDonald's. Yes. They're going to order the Big Mac, nothing else, because they know they don't like chicken nuggets. Mm-hmm. And I think that's and I think that's what this is like on the menu of like oh god on the menu of movies Freddy got fingered is the filet fish it takes a rather unique person to order that <laughs> sure sure I like that analogy <laughs> and I think that's what it is like it's like maybe even take it take the analogy from one step further it's not just like the McDonald's filet fish it's like the most obscure menu on the Hardee's menu. Most mm. people don't like to go to Hardee's, and when they do, they order the most basic thing of like imaginable. This is like the 3,000-calorie burger at Hardee's. <laughs> yes. It takes a very, very special individual to indulge on this sort of thing. Uh, yeah, and if absolutely. You, and, if, and if you eat it all the time, you will die. You will die. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, if not from this movie directly or th- whatever you're consuming directly, at least from withdrawal, you know? If I watched nothing but this movie and then went to any other film, I'd be like, it's not the same. What am I doing? <laughs> exactly. And that's the problem. It's it's the cinematis, like mantra of chasing the dragon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's, yeah. I, acquired taste is a really good way to put it because um, it absolutely is. And like I mentioned before in my with my context and my history with this, that, you know, it, it, uh, the other people starting to come around to my tastes and things was probably a form of Stockholm Syndrome because, you know, I, I, I'm very forward in general <laughs> and, and college was no exception with my with my animal collective and my uh, and my Freddy got fingers and things like that. So it's I don't I can't imagine there's a bunch of people, you know, that I showed this to or exposed to. Um, that they now watch it regularly or as much as I do. I think um, the best example that I have, because I still talk to LaShawn, is that uh, every once in a while when I talk to Sean, I get to say, do you hear the funny sound? It's my hooves! And he goes, God damn it, Rob, that is so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) My hooves! My hooves! Clippity, clappity, clappity, clappity! (laughs) I would say that nonstop in my (laughs) undergrad. I would say that so goddamn much. Like, I would... I would get to the point where I was basically doing like the um the surfing bird gag from Family Guy where oh, like sure. in some random situation we'd be talking about like anything and I'd find a way to like deadpan work in be like do you do you hear that? 
do you hear the funny sound? And they'd be like, what are you talking about? I'd be like, it's my hooves! Do <laughs> 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 ah, you hear the funny sound? Do you hear the funny sound? It's my hooves! It's my hooves! People were going crazy. Yeah. I was so on that, on that ship of saying that, like, nonstop. Like, that was probably the point in time where there were, like, people like, oh, like, it starts with a Rob's pretty weird. Like, he listens to, like, feedback uh, like, and then he and then he makes us watch like Freddy Got Fingered, which is just chaos embodied. So they thought I was pretty weird, and then I would repeat lines from these things so often they'd be like, "Oh no, he's just autistic." <laughs> I'm sure people thought that. I'm sure people still think that. I'm sure people listen to this podcast I, I, and think that. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Um, but yeah, like, but like that's the thing though is that like I think this movie too is almost like a religious experience. You either yes. watch it and it speaks to you or it doesn't. Oh, and yeah. I think there's nothing like there's nothing like, like you go to church once, you're either on board or you're not. It either speaks to you, not again, not to be sacrilegious or like some sort of heresy right now, but I think this movie either speaks to you or it doesn't. Yep. yep. I, I I think it either hits you or it has a delayed reaction and it eventually gets to you or you just forget about it. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. And Unfortunately. Um, I'm sure Unfortunately. that all those people in my freshman year dorm that if they remember anything about this movie, it's because I ran a lot of those jokes into the ground. Uh, for sure. I, I do have to say, I, some people did pick up on, because I think we developed it a little more, a lot of, I, at one point, I had a lot of people in my freshman year dorm, like, just in random encounters, like, you know, you'd walk in and you go through, like, the um the common room or something, and you have to go up the stairs to get to the your room or whatever, that there were regularly people, like, just having quick interactions where they would, like, point at the floor to get someone to look and then be like, it's the shisham, it's for the shisham. Like, I, I, I got that joke going hard. Like, me and my roommate would do that all the time to each other. Like, just point somewhere and be like, it's the shisham. And then it'd be like, a type of like, I got you to look type of thing. <laughs> I still, to this day, love the idea. I don't, you don't really get to do it much because this was pre-9-11, of course, as all these movies in this series are. So it kind of lost a lot of traction pretty quickly. But I love the idea of going into a building and someone asks you why you're there and your response is, it's okay, I'm here with a bag. Oh, uh, can I help you? Excuse me. Can I help you? Excuse me. Oh, it's okay. I'm here with the bag. The bag? The, the bag for the uh, eels. What? For the badger. For the badger. It's for the... What? It's for the shanshi. What? It's for the shanshi right there. It's for the shanshi. It's for... Hey, hey! It's okay. It's for... What it's are you talking about? about? Japan Are you here for delivery? J- Japan for. Japan for. Oh. Shanshi. What? Shanshi. Japan for. I love that. <laughs> No, like that's the thing. There's some really great, like even like like just gen- I don't want to say generic, but I guess generic, relatively speaking to the rest of the film moments in this. Oh yeah, like yeah. even like when Tom Green walks in to like the animation studio office and like Drew like, Drew Barrymore confronts him. He's like, "It's okay, I have an envelope for the boss." Yep. It's yep. like it's like it's like yeah, like there's some really just like fantastic moments there, just kind of like. Very dry wit humor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that once again gets discarded because of everything else surrounding it. Yeah, I think one of the most like I mean we we've already mentioned, but I think uh, it should be stated this movie is played very very seriously for how goofy it is. 
Tom Green has a legitimately good pickup line for Betty where he goes, you know, there are creamers in other places than hospitals, like restaurants. Would you want to go to one with me? And I'm like, that's a legitimate like way to get in, ask somebody out. Like that is funny because it's so ridiculous. But that is if I could use that in a daily situation, I would. But like who flips creamers? Ever than <laughs> Betty, you know, <laughs> good old Betty trying to be a rocket scientist. But it's 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 like legitimately where it's just like you know, oh hey, you know, it's like oh you like creamers. They talk of a little bit, and it's like well, you know, they they're in restaurants too. We should go to one. And it's like that's a legitimate human interaction. <laughs> but that's the thing too. Even when it comes to Betty, like Gordy is pretty normal when he's around Betty. Like even when like because again we even talk okay, we haven't really talked about any specifics in the plot. Other we're than getting just kind we're of gonna, like, we got so much to get to. We haven't even gotten a ripped horn yet, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like that's a thing though. Like, do we want if we went through scene by scene, we'd be another cat in the hat level discussion. We'd be here forever. Oh, oh, we oh do we God, want yes. <laughs> do we want to break this down by character? I think that's probably the best way to do it because the characters are fantastic fantastic and the actors are fantastic this cast is pretty stacked i mean at least you know uh, uh, tom green of course is our lead and then i think what eddie k thomas was already known he's in america in american pie sure um, oh yeah rip torn's been around forever i think what at, at this point in time everybody would know him as zed for men in black um sure most popularly julie haggerty will always be the woman from airplane uh like on forever she will be the woman from airplane i mean marissa coughlin will be that girl (laughs) unfortunately because she's great but i feel like she's been in so much stuff it's one of those like oh i've seen her before and then most people when they're like where's she from they're gonna land on uh she's the love interest in super troopers unfortunately i Mm -hmm. think that's what people will land on because she's better in a lot of other stuff but then you got fucking harland williams is in this movie um, we get sh- a cameo from Shaq later Shaq. on, Anthony Michael Hall, Stephen Tobolowski, who gets cut out completely. <laughs> like, he got some names for this movie, which I always appreciate. Well, that's the thing. Like, everybody knew Tom, Tom Cruise. I'm not Tom Cruise. The Tom Green. I don't know why I said that. I would love oh, if God. Tom Cruise was in this movie. <laughs> I would love it, too. Um, maybe in the Freddy Got Fingered sequel. Um, <laughs> but, but, like, that's the thing. Like, he was, like... Like not like this is really kind of an antiquated term by today's like like wording, but like he was the shit in two thousand one. Tom Green. Yep. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean he. I mean what? That's why he gets put in the Eminem song when Eminem says like I get yeah. in trouble, but Tom Green can hump a dead moose. You know, people. That's what people fucking knew Tom. Like I said, he went on talk shows and shaved dead raccoons. Whether or not people <laughs> thought that was funny or liked it, that got attention. <laughs> It did. It did. Like Tom, like Tom Green, in any other like universe, would have been hired as like a marketing like executive. Yeah, being yeah. like clearly you know how to get attention. We want to learn from you. In any other universe, mm-hmm. he would have been hired as something like that because he clearly was able to tap into the zeitgeist in a way like. In another universe, he would have been like the Tim and Eric. Absolutely, yeah. That's I think another thing indebted to Tom Green is the the idea of Tim and Eric uh, with the not the specific editing. Well, they do the editing to achieve, I think, what Tom Green did. But once again, the musicality of Tom Green is he knows when and how and how long to repeat things, and that's the essence mm-hmm. of Tim and Eric is that they ha- they have repetition in their sketches and things like that. Where they're doing it through editing, Tom Green is literally just. There's that scene where, you know, once again, Betty wants to suck his dick and he's freaking out because they haven't gone on a date. And we just see him like going. Betty's trying to take his pants off and he's just like 
moving up and down. Like he's standing, but his whole upper body is like going at like a 90 degree angle. And he's just like, Betty, 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 Betty. And he knows how to do that. And it's fucking weird, but I love it. There's a musicality to that notion of repetition. planning on doing, then you'll have sucked 200% more times than we've gone out on dates. And I just think that if we went out on at least one date, and you didn't do any sucking right now, that'd make the whole sucking to date ratio far more balanced, you know? in the sincere lines in this movie when he's talking to Julie Haggerty and he's like saying, he's like, if I were you, I would go out and I would have sex with strange men, have sex with basketball players. And then he says, have sex with Greeks, men from Greece. And it's like, nobody needs explanation about what a Greek is. <laughs> but he knows, he has that, that innate sense of repetition in his comedy that is wonderful. <laughs> But like that's the thing though. Is like, was that the editor or was that him directing the editor? I, I from everything I've seen in Tom Green, because he does that in his show all the time. The repetition, I have to think it's him. Okay. Uh, the, the and the and even one of my one of my other favorite annoying lines from this movie, annoying to other people, not to me. I, I got my fingers crossed. I got my fingers crossed. 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 <laughs> It's it's wonder like I said the musicality to Tom Green is one of the reasons he's resonated with me for so long. <laughs> no, that's that's fair, but just I just wonder how much of it is like like by that like explanation though is Tom Green an auteur? I think so. Do we know for sure? Probably not. Do I want to believe and do believe? Hundred <laughs> percent. Like, what is Tom Green Tom Green doing right now? Can we tweet to him? I hope so. That would be wonderful if he is. Uh, the last time I – well, actually, I, I last – no, 2019. We're in 2021 now. So in 2019, he re-released one of his old uh, music albums, which was pretty interesting, like remastered type of thing. I think that's the last thing I've seen him do. Has seen him do. In terms of like show or TV appearances, I know that he was a guest – at Hell's Kitchen in season six. <laughs> what? Like there is an episode of season six of Hell's Kitchen. And usually in Hell's Kitchen, when they have their dinner services, they'll show like, oh, this is in Hollywood. Here are the famous people that come to uh, eat at Hell's Kitchen. And it's usually shit like, oh, this person is on, you know, True Blood at this time and they popped up. Or this person is a basketball player that popped up. There is an episode where Tom Green goes to Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> he has no dialogue. It just shows him walking in and it shows him like, you know, it's like Tom Green actor type of thing. 
Sure. I think that was 2009. <sighs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh my god! So god, like 12 years ago. Yes. Um. Oh boy. Oh, he was I, okay. probably he was in an episode of the Eric Andre show, which is of course totally indebted to the Tom Green. Like Eric Andre takes a lot from the Tom Green show, but I think it was wonderful that the way that Eric Andre used Tom Green is the the episode he's in is one. I think the season two finale of Eric Andre show where it's entirely him destroying the set. For anyone that doesn't know, every intro to the Eric Andre show starts with him destroying the set and then the show happens. There's one episode where the entire 20 minutes is him just destroying the set. And at one point, Tom Green comes in with a chainsaw and like cuts up the desk. Tom Green has no dialogue. That's all he does in the episode. And I'm like, that is a wonderful way to use Tom Green in, in exactly. like 2011. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Yep. yep. It really does. Mm-hmm. <sighs> It okay. really does. I think, I think characters is the best way to break this down. The Tom Green, the musicality, I think that's going to come up as we talk about all the other characters. God, just the way he says things. Even when he's, like, reserved, the whole thing when, when Betty finds the umbilical cord that he has on him, and he's like, uh, it's, uh, it's, that's my uh, umbilical cord. And she's like, don't most people get that removed? And he's like, it's, it's taped. I taped it on... Uh, for fun <laughs> like the, even the way he changes his his the way he says that is just wonderful um but i guess the smallest character in this movie that we have to talk about is drew barrymore yes <laughs> because they were dating at the time this movie was made i would imagine they were dating at the time charlie's angels was made because that was also 2001 right 2000 okay two, okay so they had i'm sure that if they weren't dating then they were about to be dating um they get married after this movie do you know how long their marriage lasts zach a few months at most six weeks <laughs> okay seeing less than that well i mean so so think about it this way if you're drew barrymore you know you have a you you are a, a up-and-coming movie star maybe you know, you've been around for a while of course you're getting some notoriety maybe through charlie's angels and and other things i think in like the late 90s but i think uh, drew barrymore in the 90s the people around they know her for having a a, a very rough childhood a drug abuse sure. childhood and stuff like that you're drew barrymore you get over your childhood trauma you get over your addictions um and what do you do you settle down with a nice calm person like tom green isn't that tom the only green. natural choice <laughs> her oh, loss her loss absolutely but i think she's fine in this movie once you know that they were dating or whatever her little cameo definitely seems to be something like oh it was in there because they were dating type of thing um mm -hmm. but i do like the fact that she just gets to scream that's always fun, you know? I mean, a lot of people get to scream in this movie, but Drew Barrymore shows up and just gets to scream at Tom Green, call him, what, a skinny loser or something like that. Yep. Um, it's good fun, but that's all re she really has to... Oh, no, she does have a great bit where she gets thrown by Rip Torn. <laughs> well, okay, but, like, her scene is... It, like, one of her scenes is also really important because, like, there's the infamous, like, oh, color, color timing. Scene. Yes, the color timing scene, absolutely. <laughs> And it's like, why did like that was a major focus in the Red Letter Media discussion? Oh, okay. But it's like, what? It's like, did he do that just because he could? That's the one I'm I'm never really sure of because if you have no knowledge of like really what you're getting into, if you're just watching this because it exists or someone is exposing it to you. That definitely comes off as like, oh, look at that mistake type of thing. I've never found any background on that. 
Uh, the way that I like to think about it is something I you know said in our um, our Silence of the Lands and Hannibal episode when we were talking about Manhunter. Uh, I just like to think Tom Green channeled his inner Michael Mann, and instead of Michael Mann going like, this scene's blue, Tom Green was like, this shot's blue. <laughs> <laughs> but I have no clue whether that's intentional, whether that was legitimately the best take they had, whether Tom Green was just like, you know, fuck it. I mean, but that's the thing. I see that. And I see that that's very noticeable change in color timing. And then almost in the, not almost, in the next set piece, when Tom Green goes, dresses the English Bobby to the restaurant, you get the guy with the cast in the background who is giving the middle finger to the camera. And that is so much more subtle, but that's the one where I don't, the color timing is confusing. When you look at that, you go, that has to be intentional. At least the way I think about it. Yeah. And so that's the confusing part of all this. (laughs) But that's – I don't think it's – like I think the middle finger is blatantly obvious. It was like, OK, wouldn't it be funny? Like somebody has a cast and it's the middle finger. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't but that, that be funny? That puts confusion on the color timing scene for me, I think. I But like I don't think so though. I think it it, it doesn't change the uh, baffle the, – the bafflement at the color timing scene. Oh, sure. Because, the confusion in the in the essence of it. Like you said, is it intentional or not? Or what's the story behind it? I guess that's what I'm saying. It's it's going to be baffling no matter what. I mean, it's, it's sure, a jarring. Uh, like, when, that, when the fucking thing in the background just becomes neon blue for three seconds, you can't not notice that. Sure, <laughs> sure. But I think, like, whereas the middle finger seems like 100% on brand for him, mm-hmm. the color timing is something so, so slight that you have to be a a cinephile to recognize it. Oh, I I, I know. I, I hear what you're I saying. Can't, sure. I can't imagine any normie watching this film in 2001 picking up on that. I just can't. That's an not, interesting not con- thought. Yeah. Not consciously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's interesting. Back in the day, how was that received type of thing? You know, it, it, I feel like now there's some more, more people would notice it. But yeah, you're right. Maybe in 2001, people see this in the theaters and that happens. It's not like there's a huge... Like whoa, type of thing from the audience or anything like that, even internally. Sure, and that's and that's the thing I find fascinating. Is that like, did he do this? Like, why just that moment? Because everything else is fine. Like, 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 clearly that was intentional. That doesn't happen by accident. It was just like I don't know. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. I know. Like I said, but no, Drew Barrymore is uh, not really a character. Just kind of like like a, a, almost like a glorified extra. Yeah, yeah, I, I would put her in the same. I guess we can get out of the way the, uh, the the Shaq cameo. Like we get a cameo from Shaq, we get a cameo from Drew Barrymore. I mean, Shaq does get to hump the air in his scene. Yes, he does. But Drew Barrymore gets thrown by Rip Torn, and I'll take getting thrown by Rip Torn over getting to hump the air in a movie any day. Like if I'm in a movie as an extra or a cameo, I'd be like, come on, Rip Torn, bring him back from the dead and have him throw me. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so I guess what the next major character is what his best friend. Yes, Harlan Williams, uh, who he doesn't have too much to do in this movie, but I like that he acts as somewhat of a foil to Tom Green in certain scenes where he's always like the, uh, in some sense, the voice of reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's always good fun. And then once again, he gets beat up by Rip Torn. <laughs> yes, he does. A lot of people in this movie get beat up by Rip Torn. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, God, I just love Rip Torn. We lost him too soon. He was 88. <laughs> he should have lived to be 300. <laughs> if he could have just lived for another 10 years to break into more banks and defend himself by saying he thought it was his house. God, what a treasure. What year, what, what year was that when he did that? I think it was like 2011, 2010. 
Yeah, yeah. It, okay. was, it, was, it was when it he, wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it, it, wasn't, it that... wasn't when he was public that he had Alzheimer's, and I think it was probably when his Alzheimer's was like just starting because he would have been because he died at 88 in 2019 so in 2010 he would have been probably 80 81 mm. or 79 80 81 something like that when he broke into the bank um but i mean it's a very sad thing i've had family members with alzheimer's that are just it's it's the most upsetting thing but it is just so fundamentally if you take away that context funny that rip torn broke into a bank with a gun and his defense was i thought it was my house <laughs> that is fundamentally funny like you could think that is a sketch from a movie <laughs> yes and because it's rip torn as well that you see rip torn in all these movies especially this one you think like yeah that's a that's something gord's dad would do <laughs> <laughs> exactly. oh god like okay but even going to the sequence in this where you have like like gord and you sit there have him and like his friend like breaks his like like leg or yep. knee yep. on the half pipe and it's like he starts just licking it, mm-hmm. and I love how like Rip Torn just like kind of like like as he's licking it, like there's two sequences of him licking it. There's the first one, which is almost like almost like out of place. Yeah. Then there's the second one where we have it's more of like like a, like a pull back shot, and we sit there have him licking it, and Rip Torn literally slaps him in the back of the head as he's licking it. Yeah. And yeah. I just I just love that sequence so much. <laughs> like I love it when you have absurdism, then you have like that sting of normalcy. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, no, no, let me rephrase that. Not Sting, but the chaser of normalcy. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yep, yep. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the reasons this movie works so well for me is that you have the combination of the absurdist shock humor of just seeing this bone sticking out of Harlan Williams' leg and then Tom Green licking it and stuff like that, not doing anything to help at all. Um, and then you have that paired with the chaser of, you know, Rip Torn being like, Oh, God damn it, I got to deal with this now, and I'm dealing with my stupid son at the same time. <laughs> I do want to realize that at one point, like, Rip Torn, like, leans out the window when, like, go- at one point, like, Harlan Williams is like, Gorch, your family's trying to sleep. And he's like, you're right, I should use a nail gun. And you hear, thwack, 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 thwack. And you see the nails aren't even going in, and Rip Torn opens, like, the bedroom window, and he's like – and I find it fascinating that, once again, like, another common theme in the two – you know what's so funny? After, like, beyond 9-11, I love that the next theme after that is just, like, the sheer amount of homophobia. Yep. He's like, yep. what are you two fags doing outside? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, it's like, and, like, I just find that amusing. Oh, absolutely. And then eventually – we get a shot of Rip Torn just screaming out of the window. <laughs> Not dialogue. He is just, Aah! like, I will put the clip in. It, it is legitimately just a scream, and it is the most amazing thing I have seen in any movie ever, I think. <laughs> it's sheer gibberish. Yes. It is literally gibberish. And, like, I love that. I love it so, so much. <laughs> oh, it, it's wonderful. Shh, Gord, Gord, don't hammer him so loud. Jeez. It's late, you're gonna wake up your parents. You're right, I should probably use the electric nail gun. Yeah. Gord. Gord! What? Alright! Would you two faggots stop making so fucking much noise? We're sleeping! Stop the fucking hammer! I got a kid over here, okay? Gord, you guys almost done over there? Yeah, nearly, Mr. Malloy. Hey, Gord, can I play on your ramp tomorrow? Sure, Andy. Anytime. Ta-da!
Torn is really the perfect casting for this role. Like everything for all the all the like the the actual like jabs that you can tell. Even though Riptorn is pro- Riptorn's character is probably like a messed up dude. He went. We don't know anything about his backstory. He just hates his son, or he's disappointed in his son. But just Riptorn plays it so well, from the crazy goofiness, even to those little small moments where they're in therapy and they're like they're like you know uh, like Gord or, or uh, Riptorn, whatever his character's name, and he's like, "Are you listening to Gord? Do you understand what he's saying?" And Riptorn's just like. He wants to eat a chicken sandwich. Your disappointment to my family. Your embarrassment to my family, you little prick. And it's just so perfectly reserved. <laughs> Jim, do you hear what Gord is saying here? Yeah, I hear him boohooing about his broken wheelie board ramp. Is that what you mean? Yes, Jim, but do you understand what he's saying? Sounds to me like he just wants you to accept him as your son, to approve of him and what he wants to do with his life. Now, how does that make you feel? First of all, I'm gonna give a rat's ass what this not nosed punk wants. As long as he lives in my house and eats my food, I make the rules. I want to eat chicken burgers. You little prick. Jim, don't hurt my baby. Now sit down. Your embarrassment to my family. I think that's the key, though, is that he plays it straight. Like, yes. Everything yes. in this movie is played straight. Like none of it's like self. And when I say straight. I mean, like, none of it is self-referential. Absolutely. Even when Riptorn is being a terrible human being to Betty, he plays it so straight. <laughs> but, like, that's the thing, though. Everybody in this movie is more or less an awful person at some level. Oh, oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm actually glad you say that because we've been talking about so much. I mean, this is, this is going to be my version of The Shining, Zach, where next week I'm going to be like, oh, no, God, I can't do it next week. We already recorded that. Oh, we didn't record that episode. God, the turnstiles fucked my head so bad, Zach. But this is going to be the essence where I'm like, I forgot to mention this in the Freddy Got Fingered episode. But I'm so glad you bring it up. I get a lot of vibes of Gord's character similar to Adam Sandler's character in That's My Boy. Where we're like, he's a legitimately good person. Gord is a very good person at his heart and soul, I think. I don't know, but like, I, I don't know. I think Gord has a level... Of contempt for almost for a lot of people. I think, like, but I, I don't think even. I don't know con- if it's contempt. I yeah. think he. Has, I think he. I think he disrespects a lot of people. Right. Or like, I think. Oh God, I forget what his character's name is. In in that's my boy Adam Sandler. It's. I think there's a difference where I think wherever his name is, I think for the most part is just like a kind of like a dummy. But has a heart like it's yeah, it's the usual Adam Sandler trope of like a dummy but a heart of gold. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Gord has a lot of contempt for people. I think he has some issues with people, but it's like I think it's primarily stemming from his his dad, his relationship with Rip Torn in this movie. But I, I do love the stuff where, you know, when he has the the goofy scene that I already mentioned telling, you know, Julie Haggerty, like, don't put up with this, Mom. Like, you're better than this. And then he's like, whole come around where he's like, you know, oh, Betty, you were right. Like, I should believe in myself. I'm not a stupid idiot and things like that. I don't I think there is a maybe not a heart of gold. Maybe there's like an artery of gold somewhere in Gordon. <laughs> Fair <laughs> it's, enough. It's there. It's not as it's nothing like that's my boy where we get the scene where, you know, all the rich people are treating their servants or their butlers like trash. And then Adam Sandler's the one to say, like, no, 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 I'll do the dish. There's nothing that uh, blatant like in That's My Boy, but I think it is there. I I think I think it's about a, maybe a leap too far. I, I don't I don't think Gore's on the same level as uh, yeah, not the uh, same Adam level. Sandler. But I definitely drew connections to it that there is there is good in Gord. I mean, 
Of course, though, I maybe think Gord the, uh, stumbles into. I think Gord stumbles into good. <laughs> I like that. I like I that Gord's because we do a have to mention nature. he he falsely accuses his father of molesting a child, of molesting a grown man slash child. <laughs> exactly, he falsely like accuses his father of pedophilia. He's a child molester. You molester. <laughs> but I. I definitely picked that up on these last f- multiple viewings for this recording. I was like, there's some good in there for sure. Um, because other characters, you're right, There's this whole thing came from that a lot of characters aren't just good. Julie Haggerty basically is a non-entity in this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, Harlan Williams is just like, Jesus Christ, Like, get out of my life at the end of the movie when he goes to the bank to cash the check. He's like, he's like your dad beats me up. You're a fucking lunatic. Like, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, Betty is good, but... Reads very, very dumb slash naive. Um, even though she's not dumb, she's not unintelligent because you know she's she's doing her rocket science stuff. But she comes off as just very, very like naive. I think you know with the whole like woo as I brought up before. So so yeah, there, there's not a lot of redeeming qualities for these characters. <laughs> but I don't think that's like that's the thing about this movie though. Is, like I don't think it's like accurate to review this movie. In a typical way that you look at film. Oh, sure, sure, I'm with you like, there. Like, 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 this is at the end of the day. Probably the the easiest way to describe this film is this is like experimental cinema. Oh yeah, but yeah. done, but done in like the most broad way possible. Oh, absolutely, because there's so much of this movie. Yeah, you're absolutely right that, you know, if if ever I want to talk about this movie in terms of, you know, character design or anything, um, you have to do it more as like a scene-by-scene basis than an entire film because it's so all over the place. I mean, and, and the movie is, is wearing that, complete, owning it completely. I mean, the restaurant scene, which we're going to talk about in great detail at some point, in hour six, I think, um, <laughs> we, we, we legitimately have our, our, um, our Malloy neighbor family, the dad and the kid, you know, it's like, am I really allowed a piece of cake, daddy? You sure are, buddy, because it's your birthday. Yay! Yay! And then that's very, very over-the-top wholesome, like, own, and then even Rip Torn comes over, he's like, I see somebody has a birthday cake. Happy birthday, Adam. I think his name's Adam the Kid. Um, And he's like, happy birthday. Andy is his name. And he's like, happy birthday. And he's, and, you know, they're having, like, this great wholesome moment the father and Rip Torn say something about Gord. Cut to, you're fired! You're fucking fired, Bob! Clean out your locker at the club! You're fucking fired! You know? It's immediate switch tonal chaos. Is, is that, um... Did you need to... Oh, that? yep. <laughs> that's, my, uh, that's my cellular telephone. It's, um... It's wireless. It uses satellites and terrestrial uh, antennas to uh, send and receive transmissions. It's, um... Interesting. Hello? Hey! my buddy Andy. Ah, somebody's eating some birthday cake. Yes, sir, it's my birthday. <laughs> How you doing, Jim? Uh, I'm great. So I guess uh, Gord's busy these days, huh? Oh, yeah, that kid of mine is something else. He's working day and night at his big new computer job. Yeah, I noticed him over there. Yeah. Hey, what? Yeah, it looked like he was having a Bob? real important uh, business meeting. Uh, yeah, Bob, yeah. sorry, you're going to have to speak up. I'm on my cellular telephone. I don't care, Bob. You're fired. You're fired! You're fucking fired, Bob! Clean out your locker at the club, Bob. You're fucking fired! I don't fucking care what he told you, okay? I'm talking about 40 million fucking Deutschmark here, Bob! 40 million fucking Deutschmark! 
I told you to wire the money to Geneva last week. I say Geneva, you hear Helsinki, huh? 40 million fucking Deutschmark bombs! And the movie's just like, yeah, you can't think about this the way you've thought about anything in your life before. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fundamentally different. <laughs> it really is, because, like, it just, it, it just pinballs around. And then, like, even how that sequence at the, like, restaurant ends with, like, the cop, like, oh, shooting yes. the gun and being like, get on the ground, asshole! <laughs> this and, is like, a fancy sequ- restaurant! This is a fancy! fancy I love that some of the dialogue in there literally just has him saying, this is a fancy. That's, there's some moments in that where he does not say restaurant. I love that! This is a fancy! Once again, perfect Tom Green musicality. He knows when to repeat himself, when to not repeat himself. And that is a great example. And even... One of the other things I say all the time, 40 million fucking Deutschmarks. I told you to wire the money to Geneva last week. I say, Geneva, you hear Helsinki? I, you cannot, You nobody in the world, even Zach, who knows me so goddamn well and is no, has known me longer than anybody else on this podcast, has gotten to know me even more with all the crazy shit we've talked about. Nobody can understand how fundamentally that one line changed my life in 2010. I say Geneva, you hear Helsinki? That that was like I was like that's it. That's the moment my life changed. <laughs> <laughs> there was before that line and then after that line. Absolutely. There is something about that that is just like that this is it. This is what life can be. <laughs> 40 million fucking Deutschmarks, Bob. <laughs> little Timmy. Then little Timmy. Oh little my Timmy, god. He works the, the office. The follow-up scene when it's like, "Your dad called me a retard slut whore. I don't think he likes me very much." Uh that was little Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's like, I, I it's like funny like Rip Torn calls him retarded slut whore. She's like, "I am not retarded." Oh my god. Rip Rip that whole interaction with uh, Betty and Riptorn is just like the greatest goddamn thing. The way Riptorn delivers the realization followed up by the line of you're a cripple and she's like what you got a problem with my legs? No you got a problem with your legs either that or you're just lazy and it's like whoa oh Jesus God there is no computer job is there you're just gallivanting around in my suit pretending to be some kind of mover and shaker aren't you? Okay Timmy I'm on the salt phone here this is my phone for my kitchen what the hell is this ah boy here we go Ah. my goddamn tape recorder he's pretending to have a cell phone he's an unemployed loser living in my basement wait a minute you're crippled dad what dad you've got a problem with my legs no you've got a problem with your legs either that or you're just lazy once again, this is happening less than 60 seconds after, <laughs> I see you got a piece of birthday cake there, Andy. And this, and it's just fucking this. And he's like, you want to get spanked in front of your retard slut whore girlfriend? I am not retarded. <laughs> but, like, you even have another moment like that earlier on where he's, like, quote-unquote delivering the baby. Where, like, you have that, it's like, it seems like you have a baby yes. stuck inside yes. you. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, let me, get, she's like, give me my baby, you asshole. And like he's like like why is the baby crying? He's like let me wake your baby up. And what's yep. that sing songy nature of mm-hmm. how he's just delivering his dialogue? And he's literally swinging the baby around the room with its umbilical cord as the two like Indian women are like giving this weird chant. 
and like you have his friend being like wamba 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 mm-hmm. and it's like and then like literally 15 seconds later he's like handing the baby over and it's this weird sort of just like like cute little moment could you please please just shut the fuck up i am fucking pregnant <gasps> So what are you saying here? You hate people in wheelchairs? No, I don't hate people in wheelchairs. No, no, I think it's crystal clear what you're saying. You hate the handicapped, right? No, I don't hate the handicapped. I mean, you're handicapped. I don't hate you. See? Oh, oh. You're handicapped. You're handicapped. You're handicapped. My baby's coming. My baby's coming. Oh, no, no. My baby's coming. My baby is coming. Call the doctor, you fucking asshole. Oh, it's okay. I'm a doctor. No, no, get me a real doctor. I am get me a real doctor. doctor. I'm a real doctor. Ah! Ah! Get away from me. Here, spread your legs for no, me, okay? No, no. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> I see the problem here. No, there no, seems to be a little baby no. inside your body. Here, give me your hand, little fella. Give me your hand, little fellow. Here, little fella. Like, like he gets like thrown out of the hospital and it's like don't you ever come back yep yep oh my god that scene is the embodiment of chaos <laughs> it is but like you have these moments of just like sentimentality they're like sandwiched in between the insanity mm-hmm. and then when he's getting kicked out of the hospital and uh he's like the doctor's like you never come back here again all that stuff and then uh, I think, like, Tom Green, uh, Betty's like, Gord, what's going on? And it's like they've fucking known each other for years, the way she says that line to him, and they just met, like, a few minutes ago or something in, in movie time. But then Tom Green's like, I saved the day, I saved the day, and he goes, don't touch my shoulder to the doctor. I saved the day, Betty. <laughs> God, that, the the birthing scene is 
so this is one of the scenes that I watch and I'm like, this is this is evidence that this movie is from a different reality. Because one, the hospital room they're in has Harlan Williams with a broken leg, a pregnant woman. Not like she's like a pregnant woman about to give birth, as we as we realize, and two Native American women with unidentified issues. The the woman is pissed off because she's like, I'm she's like, can't you see I'm pregnant? Stop being Tom Green is basically what she says. And then he's he puts on the doctor's coat. She's starting to like give birth, and he's like, spread your legs for me. And she is screaming and writhing, saying no. And that is so strange. And then he goes, like we said, I see the problem here. There seems to be a little baby inside your body. And then we have, like you said, the chanting. There's constant noise going on, screaming, chanting, talking, everything. And then the flipping around of the, or the spinning around of the baby on the umbilical cord. He has to bite the umbilical cord to uh, sever it. And he does, like, right before that, say, when the the mother is like, you have to cut the cord. And he goes, do I have to do everything around here? And then bites the umbilical cord off. It is out of this world. It is fundamentally not of this plane of existence. <laughs> it is not. It is not. And then the great next scene is when Betty and, and Gord go on their first date, technically. And the start of that scene is Betty opening the door, and it is implied that she has been sitting alone in her apartment flipping creamers. Because she's like, she's like, look, I'm doing the creamer thing. And it's like, that's what you're fucking doing alone in your apartment? <laughs> it is, it is, it's great. it takes, it doesn't take left or right turns. It literally jumps through dimensions, this movie, I think. That's the best way to put it. Like, you get whiplash from, like, I hate to make this reference, but it probably is the most apt the way I feel watching this movie. It's the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 scene when they go through a million different dimensions or hyper jumps too fast, and they're, like, getting all tripped out. That is this movie, the way it switches through things so much, and it is wonderful. <laughs> Rob, are you referencing a Marvel film? I am. I'm trying to think of another example. I don't know. Doctor Who probably did that at a certain point. I just haven't seen the episode, so I can't reference it specifically. <laughs> No, oh, Rob. Uh, but yeah, like, do we want to segue just while we're here, like into Betty's character? Yeah, we gotta. I mean, Betty's great. I love her in this movie. I love Marissa Coughlin in general. She's always good. She plays this role so fantastically. Even though she is, as we were saying before we started recording, probably the uh, the most not woke part of this movie because the only woman with agency just wants to suck cock, and she even has a line <laughs> of dialogue explicitly stating that at the end of the film. <laughs> Gordy, I don't care about jewels. Gord, <laughs> oh, I can't hear you! I saw you on TV! And you inspired me to keep trying, so I did it! And I sold my animations and I... Remember that day I lied to you and told you that I was a stockbroker? Guess what? Now I really am rich and... Here. I have a bag of jewels for you. They're jewels, Betty. Their jewels. I got them all for you. Lord, I don't care about jewels. I just wanna. I just wanna suck your cock. Do you? Do you really mean that, Betty? Yes, Gord. Even if you were poor, I'd still just wanna stay home. Just, 
And oh my god, that whole interaction is fantastic. The way that once again he says, you know, he's like, I have a bag of jewels for you. And he and he says to her, They're jewels, Betty. They're jewels, as he's showing them to her. Like she wouldn't know that they're jewels. And then she's I got them all for you, Gord. I don't care about jewels. I just want to suck your cock. And he's like, You mean that? And she's like, Yes, even if you were poor. I just want to stay home all day and suck your cock. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, her her character is introduced as, oh, she's into physics. She's into rocket science. That's a pretty interesting idea. It's revealed that she's in a wheelchair. It's like, wow, this is interesting. From everything we've seen in this 2001 fort year so far, I'm thinking of Sugar and Spice and Saving Silverman, those lower brow comedies that we've watched. The jokes are like, somebody's gay, somebody's just handicapped. This movie sets the stage fairly well for our female character. She's into rocket science, and she's handicapped, <laughs> and Gordy doesn't seem to have a problem with either of these things. Good for 2001. <laughs> well, well, doesn't he earlier have one? Because he goes into Harlan Williams, he starts talking to him about her. Well, I never, I have never taken that scene to be him, like, having an issue with it him just being surprised by it harlan williams is the one who's like do you have a problem with handicapped people and tom green says no and then goes crazy i kind of always take that scene as gord's character this is the first time he's ever seen a handicapped person like it seems almost as like childish curiosity when he goes to talk to harlan williams because he's the thing he's like you know how most people have legs and can use them I saw someone in a wheelchair and it's very much like a kid would see like a weird animal for the first time where he's like, see a giraffe and be like, you know how most people have short necks? There's a thing with a big neck. Like it seems very, very as like innocent curiosity to me. <laughs> sure. No, I get it. But I then it. Betty's character is literally, I want you to cane my paralyzed legs so I can basically recreate the orgasm scene from when Harry met Sally. And then give blowjobs. That's what her character turns into. <laughs> and we learn that she is against the politics of, of the – I think she says something about the hospital, but she, I know she says it later on about people in general, that she doesn't like the politics of people thinking handicapped people shouldn't be able to go that fast. <laughs> Which is why she wants to work on a rocket-powered wheelchair. <laughs> Everything about Betty is is great. I love Betty's so good. I mean, her her little woo, and you know, she's just going along for the ride. She seems to just be so on board with Gordy. She gets one of my favorite little jokes that movies can ever do is just responding to people and going, "What?" I mean, we talked about it last time in what the Teen Beach movies, where what our main character in Teen Beach movie one like comes through and he goes up to like the biker and he's just his response is. What? There's that whole scene where Betty's like, well, maybe you need to relax, you know, maybe you eat something or, or play music and that'll help you like work on drawing. And, and Tom Green goes like, how can I do all these things at once, Betty? What? Eat and draw and play music at the same time? What? <laughs> She's just on board. Betty's great. And she gets jewels at the end. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's the best of all the worlds. But I even love how at the end, or not the end, sorry, but like when the first time like he's like whacking her with the cane, he's just really like, like when we say he's whacking her in the legs with the cane, he, he doesn't just do it. it once or twice. He's just like really going at it. And then like I love how like he accidentally whacks her in the face. She's like, Gord, what the fuck? It's not my face that's paralyzed, you fuck. And he's like, uh, sorry, uh, I've never really caned anyone before. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love that. The idea of using caned is a verb. I love yes, that. Yes, absolutely. And then that's followed up when she's like, it's okay. Once again, she just got whacked in the face. She's like, it's okay. Now it's your turn. And Gord thinks she means that he's gonna she's gonna whack him in the shins with the with the bamboo stick. And she's like, No, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a blowjob. And he's like, Shouldn't we go out first? Shouldn't we do something romantic? Like take a walk in the park? And she goes, I can't walk while she's trying to take his pants off. It's wonderful. It's one. It's not of this world, but it's wonderful. <laughs> so so delightful. Oh god, yeah, Betty. Betty's so fantastic. I one of the things I don't know how many times you've seen this movie. I've seen it so many goddamn times. I pick up on all these tiny little things. I love. I love in like one of the last scenes of her is when not her last scene exactly but when gordy quits his job at the cheese sandwich shop submarine supreme is the restaurant's name um because he sees her achieve the rocket powered wheelchair on the television and in the the like the very end of that scene when he quits uh the uh the cheese sandwich job you can still hear the audio from the television when the camera is not focused on it. And at, right at the end, you can hear Betty, presumably in an interview for this news channel, say something like, I have some fetishes, and then the scene ends. So she is talking about her fetishes on her interview about her rocket-powered wheelchair. And I'm like, this is just the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. This is a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's the same thing that I always talk about, like with Freaked, like I've mentioned with my Aqua Teen Hunger Forces. The the thing I want from a comedy, and yes, I'm not saying this is a comedy, getting at the idea that I find this funny. The thing that I want from the things I find funny is that it is so dense that I'm laughing so hard at one moment I miss the next ten jokes. And that's what this movie does, that if you are laughing for too long, you've missed at least three things. In the background, in the foreground, whatever, and that is a wonderful, dense aspect of this movie. <laughs> Yeah, there is a lot going on. Oh god, yeah, Betty. I love Betty though. Mirza Koffler should be in more things. I mean, I think she's just been in so many. Like, she's just love interest. I think in all those. I know in the what is it? Broken Lizard. Like I said, the Super Trooper movie. Uh, Broken Lizard movies. I think she needs more to do. And but because she owns this role. This role is so. I feel like you read this role on paper. Most people be like, no fucking way would I want to do this. And she goes for it, and it's wonderful. <laughs> But like even like and it's another one of those red letter media highlights is that like even that sequence at the end where she's like Gordy, I don't want jewels like there's like a, like a stifle yes and she's like I just want to suck your cock like and they they kind of like like boiled down to two things it's either the actress is trying to hold back her laughter or she's humiliated by having to say the line I definitely have always taken that as she's a little uncertain of about what she's doing with her life you know like I said earlier the what have I become this is where it'd be interesting to see how or what order this movie was filmed in because if that was one of like their first scenes that they filmed or Marissa Coughlin filmed I don't like maybe because that's a helicopter scene maybe they only had the helicopter for a little bit they were trying to get that all the way out of the way early no idea if that comes near the beginning of filming I could totally believe that Marissa Coughlin was like what like how do I do this this is so fucking weird I'm being so brazen about the idea that I just want a penis in my mouth like that is literally the goal of that character in that scene or at least what she's saying I would imagine that maybe there's some uncertainty there because it was early and then by the time she had to fill the rest of her scenes it was just like fuck it I'm going for it type of thing but I don't know that's something I would love to pick Tom Green's brain about or Marissa Coughlin's 
Again, very, very intriguing. Yes, yes. Even, but just her facial expressions, Marissa Coughlin, she's such a great actress. I mean, in the scene when she's trying to suck Gordy's dick again and he, he does the whole, like, no, we should go out. He's like, we need to improve the, uh, the, the blowjob to date ratio type of thing. When he gives that little monologue, it cuts back to her in the bed and we see her, like, look off, like, raise her eyes like she's thinking and go, hmm, okay. And she's just on board. Like, that whole physical acting is is wonderful. I think it's perfect. She's great. She should be in more things. Um, she should be our leading lady in some sketch that we have for the cinema, Tales in the Cinematis restaurant. <laughs> oh, yes. Betty, Betty, Betty's a fun character. Yeah, I love Betty. She's great. <laughs> oh, God. I guess, like, what? The only character we haven't really kind of delved into is the titular character, right? Oh, Freddy. <laughs> Eddie Thomas K. I know he came up not too long ago. Um, he's in an episode. He's the bad guy. He's the he's the rapist in a in a season twenty two episode of Law and Order's Vu. And oh. every time I see him, I'm just like, oh look, it's Freddy, and it's not Freddy. I mean, most people would know. I don't even remember his character's name in American Pie. I just I think he's the one that they spread the rumor that he has like a giant dick. I think that's his arc in American Pie. If I'm remembering in the first correctly. American Pie, yeah, something like that. And like Stifler gives him like a bunch of laxatives, and he like craps his pants. Yes, the school. yes, yes. Um, but then other than that, he's been in things. But I'm always going to know him as 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 Freddy from this from this movie and his wonderful little scene where the cop and the psychiatrist show up at his door, and the psychiatrist's like, "We're here for uh, little Freddy," and looks around him, and he's like, "I'm, I'm Freddy," and she's like, "Oh." Okay, come with us. You're going to be safe now. And he's like, "What are you talking about?" That's a, I love that little scene. He's so good in it. <laughs> yeah, like I think like Eddie K. Thomas, like again, he'll always be known as the guy with Stifler's mom. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but like, I'll always love like in the like children's home for the mental like what for the uh like oh god the institute molested. yeah the institute for sexually molested children sexually <laughs> and like you hear and you have the little like again like, Robin start to clip. But, like, you have like, that little sing-songy nature, and they're, like, going up to him, and they're like, it's okay now. And, like, yep. on the TV, you have the Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> yes, play. Yes, <laughs> Oh, love it. Girls and boys come out to play, the moon is shining bright as day. Leave the supper and leave the sleep, but do you play for us in the street? Come with the group, and come with the group, and we can give them a lot to do. Up the ladder and down the wall, and play any load for service. You got fingered? No. Okay? It's okay. Love it. <laughs> Does your DVD have the behind the scenes? Once again, my my behind the scenes features. I don't know where they come from. Whether they DVD or like TV spots or wherever else they would come from. Does yours? There's like a 20 minute one that I have where it shows that there were actually there was like more stuff filmed at yeah, the institute yeah. for sexually molested. Yeah. And there's the scene of it, like, Freddie going. Freddie has a bunch of hair. Yeah, yeah and he's like, he's I was not hairy. fingered, and he's like screaming about it. Yeah, I would love to see more of what Tom Green shot for the in, in that institute. That seems wild as hell. All right, Rob, repeat after me. Release the green cut. Release the green cut. I like that. Because also, it's a wonderful little tracking shot. The, in- the, the, uh, the introduction of the Institute for Sexually Molested Children. We see the, the, the sign outside of the building. And then it cuts to the tracking shot of the little girl running through like the ward, like all the kids in beds and stuff. 
and the tracking shot ends on the couch where there's a boy, there's Freddy, and then the little girl sits on it, and the little girl is holding a doll that is blackened and burned. And I'm like, I want to see so much more of this. I'm like, I'm so on board for the Institute for Sexually Molested Children. Not the idea of it. I'm very upset that it exists, but I want to see what's going on in this place. <laughs> That's what I mean, though. It's, like, it, it, it's visually fascinating. Yes, absolutely. Oh, God. Yeah, but, I mean, Freddy is the... He Well, as we know, he's not the number one son, or he turns into the number one son, maybe. Uh, but he's the one with the job. Uh, he's the one who, who can't afford breakfast, so he, he comes to eat from his parents. It's just, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I don't think there's anything I don't like about this movie. <laughs> oh, God. I think we have to talk about Anthony Michael Hall. Um, sure. If, if there's any other character then, or any other character slash moment then when Tom Green talks to the contract at the end and he's like, I spent 150000 on the jewels, I spent 100000 on the helicopter, and he's like, a million dollars, easy come, easy go. If there's any other moment that encapsulates Tom Green making this movie or maybe hinting at Tom Green making this movie as some reference to the industry or something like that or maybe his own career, it is Anthony Michael Hall going... See, Gord doesn't make any sense. You need to actually have something that happens, and it needs to be funny. And, like, that whole little thing where he yells at Tom Green outside of the restaurant. Like, the the what the fuck is going on here scene. Because Tom Green says, you know, instead of being able to see through everything, he can only see through wood. (laughs) And then he's like, but see, Gord doesn't make any sense. And he's like, but no, see, he's a banana, and there's a string. And he's like, I see it, I see it. And on the string, there's a bag of, of, of eyes. A bag of eyes, it was a baboon, baboon eyes in a sauce. And, and Anthony Michael Hall is just like, it doesn't make any fucking sense, Gord. <laughs> it's wonderful. Tell me something. What do you want? Okay, I want you to help me make it into a TV show. Okay, so let me get this right. You want to just barge into a restaurant, dress like a fucking English Bobby, and expect someone to give you a TV show? Uh, I don't know. Um, Yeah. Do me a favor, leave me alone. Please, Valet. please, please, please. Yes, sir. Please, right. just look at my drawings. Okay. Yeah, okay, all right, all right. Fine, fine. Okay, okay. Look. okay, it's X-ray cat. Okay, except instead of being able to see through everything, he can only see through wood. So if there's something going on on the other side, say a wooden door, okay? See the criminal? See I the, see the criminal, see the criminal? I see the door. Okay, see through the door, see the criminal, and save the day. He saves the day, okay? Much to the dismay of the police, to the dismay of the mayor, because you know the police and the mayor, they always hate it when people take the law into their own hands. Like, in these a situations. like a Batman. Like a Batman, like the Guardian Angels. Right, what's, right, that, right. what's that called uh, again? Like, like a vigilante. Like a vigilante! Right, like right, a vigilante! Right, right. He's like right. a vigilante... Uh, cat. cat who's a vigilante. It's a cat who is a vigilante. I got that, Gord. Okay? Listen, the drawings are pretty good, but it doesn't make any sense. Okay? It's fucking stupid. Okay? What you need here is elevation. Okay? There actually has to be something that happens that's actually funny. What the fuck is happening here? Okay, uh, that's a banana. I see the banana, Gord. Okay, but there's a string attached to it. I see the a, string. It's a bag of eyes on the other end with the, 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 the baboon, uh, baboon eyes with a, <clears throat> a sauce... Uh, dripping. Dripping sauce and a baboon. <clears throat> See what I mean? It doesn't make any sense, Gord. It sucks! And then the whole thing, his introduction is him on the phone saying, you tell Hanna-Barbera to go fuck themselves. I got ten kids in, like, the ca- a tiger cage that can draw better, th- or draw faster than that, or something along those lines. <laughs> 
Are you Dave Dave? Are you David Davidson? I'm looking for David Davidson. Are you David Davidson? I'm a woman. Did I ask you your gender? I asked if you were David Davidson. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Everything is so perfect. Oh god. Anthony Michael Hall's great in this movie though. I love his whole um little God, Gord, this character isn't believable. And then he gets all, he gets hit on the head by ripped horn and, and thrown around and all that stuff. That was a great pitch, Gord. How about a million dollars? I wasn't even planning on writing a check today. Oh, but with commitment like that. <laughs> It's it's wonderful, and th- and then there's all these other like you know minor characters. I mean characters that don't really have anything to do. I love the farmer um, when when Tom Green runs up in the beginning of the movie to uh, like you know what are you doing with that horse and grab its penis. The farmer like Tom Green literally does a 180 in his car, jumps out, jumps the fence, runs onto this farm, and goes, what are you doing to that horse? And the farmer very calmly is like, this is a stud farm, boy. And it's like, nobody would react that way. The reaction would be like, get the fuck off of our farm. (laughs) It's from a different universe. It is from a different goddamn universe. (laughs) Indeed, Rob, indeed. Oh my god, I could talk about this this whole whole movie. What scenes would you like to talk about, Zach? Because there's so many we haven't even gotten to yet. I think you're right though, we probably have gotten all the characters. I mean, maybe we didn't really talk about Andy Malloy and him just getting very gorily destroyed throughout the course of the movie. <laughs> sure, sure. But like that's like like I said, there's really nothing to talk about there. Yes, yes. That's more schlock uh not schlock, shock. Uh, comedy that is wonderful. The first time it happens when Gord returns to Portland and the kid comes running out like, Gordy, you're back, you're back, and then trips and busts his face open on the car door. Wonderful. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Is like, that's just kind of like, like, oh, God. like That's kind of like a joke just throughout the film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even, I mean, it's the last joke in the movie uh, that he runs into a plane propeller. A gallon of blood is shot at the the people that we see, and then we hear the, go- hear the kid go, I'm okay! <laughs> like I said, like I, I don't even know what my favorite scene in this would be. Oh, that's I a just, good like, question. What the what your favorite scene is? Yeah, I, I probably my favorite scene in the movie is when the fuck is this movie going to end? That's a really good that's, one. I, I just I just find that so so funny that somebody like at like while making this like we should have it at the end of the movie. Someone holding up a sign that says that. That is that is great. I mean that is something that I could definitely see either of us separately or together when we when we make our break into directing, when that finally happens, that we put that in one of our movies or something like it as a as a clear homage to this. It's too wonderful. I think my favorite scene has to be the restaurant scene. Just everything about that. Even the fact oh, yeah. that when it turns into chaos... Hey, Dad, just shut up, okay? Just shut up! You're telling me to shut up! How would Mr. Why is it showing, Daddy? Like a spanking Can we get the check over here? Retard slut whore! I am not retarded! Daddy, Daddy, Daddy! Come on, Daddy, Daddy! Goodbye, Gord! Betty, don't go! Shut up, Dad! Shut up! Shut up! Oh, 
we get to hear the constant ringing of the phone in the background. And as yep. I've said oh, many yeah. times, I love scenes that just have a phone ring in the background. It's the Tom Green. Direct, clearly, we can draw this point A to point B straight line. Clearly influenced David Lynch and Twin Peaks: The Return, the Who Is Judy scene with um with David Bowie as a uh, as a boiler because there's a phone ring in the background for most of that scene when it turns into chaos. Who is Judy? You've already met Judy. What do you mean I've met Judy? Who is Judy? Who is Judy? Tom Green did it, and the wonderful thing is it's not an actual phone in Freddy Got Fingered. It is a tape-recorded message of a phone ringing. That's what we're hearing. <laughs> I I think one of my favorite visual gags is Tom Green working at the uh, Submarine Supreme, the cheese sandwich shop, and he is mopping tables, knocking everything off of them. <laughs> oh, napkin container, ketchup, mustard, he's just fucking going hard. A mop, a classic mop, not like a Swiffer, like a classic ancient technology mop just on tabletops knocking all this shit off. It's wonderful. <laughs> uh, but even like the point where he's like taking the shower and oh, it's like, and, and, and like Rip Torn goes down and he's like, are you too retarded? Is he even too retarded to know what like cold versus hot water? <laughs> yes. The reveal when Rip Torn opens the shower door and it's just Tom Green in scuba gear <laughs> is so wonderfully funny. <laughs> and I love that Tom uh-huh. Green says, get out of my scuba gear. There is no way that that scuba gear would fit Rip Torn. <laughs> oh, God. And, like, and, then like, and the perfect part of this, like, oh, God, like, unintentional meta filmmaking is Rip Torn has to slide, pa- yes. I, I kind of, like, like, slide past the cameraman. And you see, like the reflect. You see, like what the shadow of the camera, like in the shot. Yeah, he has to. He has to turn at, like, or like shift his body to get out of the way of the cameraman as he's leaving the shot. And every time since, since I, I've, I feel like I've picked up on that a lot. I think about that all the time now. Ever since we talked about um, Miles Dyson holding the door open for the cameraman in Terminator Two, where it's like, look at it. Jimmy C did it, and Tom Green did it. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. And like I mentioned before, he's like, but I saved the treasure. We can live like kings. We can live like kings. <laughs> and the whole thing where he's like, he's like, look, look, I got the treasure. He says to Rip Torn. And he's like, you goddamn imbecile. That's soap on the rope. And he goes, shh, I'm pretending it's a treasure. <laughs> I'll fix it. And the water. Call it up for Tell me you're some goddamn stupid. You can't even tell the difference between hot and cold. Where the water? What the fuck is going on? I'm underwater. Look, I found a treasure. A treasure? That's soap on a rope. I'm pretending it's a treasure. 
It's a treasure. Get out of my goddamn scuba gear, you imbecile! Everything about this, like, there's just so many. Like, pretty much every scene of the movie is like, like a a work of art. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like, there's really, there's not really like, like say what you will about like the overall thing, but like scene to scene, there's never a dull moment. Not at all. This is what ninety minutes, probably like an hour twenty four with credits. Yeah. Like it is, it it does n- it never feels that way to me. Like it is so, I am so on board for this movie, every little bit, even to the point now that I can quote the entire goddamn movie. I'm still totally on board. Like I had no problem just like watching it like every day for the last like four days in a row. Even if I wasn't paying attention to, it, I just have it on and doing something else. It's like, oh, here we go. I get to say, you know, I get to hear the line. Where Rip Torn's like, oh, boo hoo, little Lord Fauntleroy's stomach hurts because there's too much roast beef in it, and he's like. Dad, I want to eat a chicken sandwich. And he's like, and he's like, the, the neighbor's kid is a physicist, and my kid could eat a goddamn chicken sandwich. <laughs> oh god! But even like, I, I, even taking like even earlier on the sequence where he finds Anthony Michael Hall in the restaurant dressed as an English Bobby, <laughs> and he goes in. And when like Anthony Michael Hall starts like just basically telling him how like his like cartoons suck, he pulls out a gun, puts it in his mouth, and just starts hyperventilating. Yeah. And Anthony Michael Hall, pretty much, his character is completely unfazed by this. Yep, yep. And when he when he like talks him down, you know, he's not Anthony Michael Hall is not phased, but he technically does talk Tom Green down or Gord from shooting himself. You know, Gord says, like, you mean so I shouldn't blow the brains out of the back of my skull? <laughs> and we get that great little bit where he's like, No, you gotta work on it. You gotta spend like days, weeks, months, years on this. You know, make your art work, make your animations work. And then if it doesn't happen, then you can blow your brains out of the back of your skull. <laughs> <laughs> delightful it's delightful um like that's what i mean though like 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 almost every scene of this film is visually like it's just like arresting oh yeah i mean the the follow-up to the um anthony michael hall scene is him going back to portland where he has to get inside his animals so he cuts open a dead deer wears its skin as like a suit the the image of Tom Green writhing around on the like laying face down on the pavement with this deer skin hang on the back of him and he's just shimmying around is wonderfully fantastic and then he gets absolutely fucking blasted by an eighteen wheeler only to stand up to laugh it off and say I wasn't expecting that to happen and then boom he's back home talking to Rip Torn. <laughs> <laughs> But like even the cheese, the cheese sandwich factory. Oh yeah. We're like he's like he's like putting the cheese on the sandwich, and there's a bunch of just old women, it's just factory workers. He gets like a, like a, a what a uh, what a roll of salami, and he's just like white, like just like like sitting on the conveyor belts doing like classic Tom Green shtick. Ding dong, look ding at dong. me, I'm a sex, I'm sexy, I'm a sexy boy. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. <laughs> That like, that's probably, repetition is great. <laughs> that's probably just Tom Green and his most Tom Greenest, right? Oh, like, just like in the sense yeah. of like his public persona. Yep, ab- absolutely. That's that's a lot of his um, man on the street type stuff too. Is that repetition of just nonsense, like the look at me aspect and things like that. I mean, 
even I mean the repetition is throughout this whole movie, even for that that not that type of shtick, but the whole the wonderful the um I only see one LeBaron Freddy, where's your LeBaron Freddy? I don't see two LeBarons Freddy, where's your LeBaron? <laughs> he just says LeBaron so many times, followed up immediately by Rip Torn and him saying proud seven times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the 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 glory moment of pra- of, of repetition. It is proud. played so proud. sincerely. The music during that scene make your daddy proud. I'm gonna make you so proud. I'm gonna make you proud. Pause. Tom Green gets in the car. You're gonna make your daddy proud. 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 And then he drives away, only to almost hit somebody, honk the horn, and go, get the fuck out of the way! <laughs> that is that is the moment where, yes, you're right, Zach, and this movie might not be a comedy in this universe. That moment is 100% a, a really good goddamn joke. A well-crafted, fantastic joke. Sincere, juxtaposed to him screaming at a civilian in the road. <laughs> exactly. There! It's yours. Hop in. Oh. Come on, you're driving. It's a, it's a LeBaron. You bet your boots. It's a LeBaron. Good car. Convertible. Jeez, a convertible. Look, it says number one son in the license plate. That's me. I'm the number one son. What about me, Mom? Well, you're number one son, too. But how come Gord gets a LeBaron and I don't? It's because they love me more than they love you. No, 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 they don't. Oh, yeah, I only see one LeBaron, Freddy. I only see one. I don't see two LeBarons. Gordy. Well, do you see two LeBarons? Gordy. Hey. Do you see two LeBarons? Gordy. Not at all. Come Where's on. your LeBaron, Freddy? Where's hey. your LeBaron? Boys. 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 How many LeBarons? Are there two LeBarons? Hey. No, Shut up! LeBaron. Hey. Okay. Gord. This, this car is more than a gift. It's, it's kind of an investment in you. It means I believe in my son be a good man father I, I will be a good man you make your daddy proud you hear me i'm gonna make you proud daddy i'm gonna make you so proud you make your daddy proud you're gonna be so proud 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 Exactly. Oh my god. Oh, oh, it's wonderful. And then because I mean, there's a, a few other instances I would say of like actual crafted jokes, but then a lot of it is that shock humor, the anti humor of like I mentioned, Betty going, oh, no, no, no. Some people, sometimes people here die of cancer. Um, even the whole thing with Drew Barrymore when um, it's like I got to talk to David Davidson or the boss, and then he realizes David Davidson is like, well, he's she's he's not here. He's at lunch, and he goes, he's at lunch. His wife is dead. And that's like his immediate cut to, and that's a very anti-joke as well type of thing. Oh god, this it's there's so much, so many different styles, so much going on in this movie. It's it's a masterpiece. I can't say it enough. I cannot it say it enough. This is one of the instances where it's like you know, I'm like you said when we started this podcast. You know, we can't blow our load with the big things at the start. That's why it took us, you know, two and a half years to get to a razor head. Why it's taken us three plus years now to get it got get to Freddy Got Fingered. And I'm so glad we waited. You know our fucking Spirited Away episode is like 60, 60 to 70 minutes long. That's an atrocity. <laughs> <laughs> That was back when we could be concise about what God. we robbed. Yes, yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I, I've, I was not kidding. I hope the audience is realizing I was not kidding all these previous weeks. I can legitimately quote almost this entire movie. 
Nobody doubts it, Rob. Nobody doubts oh, it. Oh, my God. He, the whole Rip Torn, he couldn't handle the complexities of making a cheese sandwich. So now he's back home living with us. That's what he says to, I think he says to Julie Haggerty. No, in, before the shower scene, he says that to Freddie. Because he's like, is Gord in the shower? He's like, he should save some water for us. Save some for the fishes, huh, Dad? And Rip Torn is just like, looks like he doesn't know where he is at that point. <laughs> 100% unimpressed. There, there's some really good facial expressions in this movie. I love when it cuts back. Uh, it was when Tom and Tom Green and Betty first meet, and Betty's explaining that she's into like rocket science. It cuts back to Tom Green, and he looks so uninterested. His mouth is like slightly agape, and he's just like, uh, and it's just so wonderfully funny. <laughs> I, I think I think the restaurant scene is probably my favorite set piece of the movie. That whole. The whole thing of him yelling on the phone to nobody is like if like if I if when we become famous for our movie production, Zach, and we get in the in memoriams at the Oscars, I don't want any footage of me to be played. I want the footage of Tom Green yelling at the, in the phone to nobody to be played. That's, that's what I want, want in my in memoriam. The you're fired. You're fucking fired, Bob. Forty million fucking Deutschmarks. <gasps> oh, just play this movie. It encapsulates me perfectly. <laughs> As Rob wants this is like he wants this is immemorial. <laughs> uh, I mean, even even it, the sincere parts get me. I mean, I I I never really like when you know. I, well, I love the whole movie and I love the movie, but I don't like when Gordy gets uh gets like him and Betty have the falling out where he's like we're just stupid idiots and she's like Gord you can't quit and he's like Gord Gordy Gordy rockets. Rockets! I'm gonna get my rockets to work. It's always about the rockets. It's always about the rockets. And he just drives away because somehow he was able to just drive onto an airstrip. Yeah. <laughs> and Betty's able to just have a wheelchair and rockets on an airstrip too. Pre nine eleven, you could do anything. <laughs> Indeed, so much could happen. Well, you can't have people complaining that there's not enough cheese on the cheese sandwich. <laughs> I mean, if there's no well, cheese on a cheese sandwich, it's basically just two slices of bread. And if word of that were to get out, I could lose my job. I could lose all of this. <laughs> and all the guy just throws the sandwich at him. Yeah. What am I supposed to do with this? You could stick it up your you bum. Can sho- <laughs> <laughs> you can shove it up your bum bum. Oh, God. Even the, the, the like we've been saying, the musicality, the cadence of his voice. I love that. Every time he's trying to actually explain something to somebody, he has that way of pausing, like with the umbilical cord, like with the first scene with Anthony Michael Hall, where he's, you know, he's pausing because he's kind of like realizing what he's saying with the uh, the, the baboon, the ba- baboon eyes in a uh, in a sauce. But when he goes back to Anthony Michael Hall, and Anthony Michael Hall, for some reason, has he knows like how to talk to Gord to keep the conversation moving, which is a wonderful dynamic. And one of the moments in there is when he's like, he's like a centaur, you know, but it's like half man, but not a horse, a zebra. And Anthony Michael Hall's like, I get it, I get it, keep going, you know. And then eventually Tom Green's like, yes, yes, it's like an African-American Greek myth. And Anthony Michael Hall is like, I got it. <laughs> God, it's, 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 Tom, we need more people. Maybe this is the best way to say it. We need more people using their voice like Tom Green and less people using their voice like Amelia Clark. Oh, God. Oh, God. Because <laughs> Amelia Clark has nothing that Tom Green has that makes it so goddamn good. Nothing. Those are the two extremes. On one end, you got Amelia Clark. On one end, you got Tom Green. <laughs> what else do you got, Zach? I can keep going. I mean, if I can, 
I mean, you, you, can, want, you can leave I, I, at a certain point. I'll just keep saying lines from this movie. That's what Rob, we build Rob's this gonna, episode so, as. <laughs> Rob's going to basically recreate the film as a one-man show. <laughs> I really don't have anything specific. Like I said, like, we could sit there and go through the entire like scene-by-scene. Scene. Like th- This movie is a abs- – again, like not to delve too far into it, but maybe we can – like this is a Cinemati's magnum opus. Oh, absolutely! Like that is like like, like for certain that like like one corner is dead alive, another <laughs> corner is a racer head, and another corner is Freddie got fingered. Like it is, it is essential Cinemati's viewing. Absolutely, I, I, it's it, it's it's essential. It's essential cinema. Whether you like it or not, there's nothing like it. There will never be anything else quite like it. It's inimitable. It is cinematic. It is absurdist brilliance. It's art. At the end of the day, yep. it, in the most like like basic terms, this is art. Yes, I and you you brought it up before, but I mean, after now we said so many or talked about so many other lines and scenes of this. It is so weird that the the daddy would you like some sausage is the thing with the staying power. I mean, it's not really that weird. That is a very absurd moment, of course, but. Out of everything else, it's just, it's kind of like, like you said earlier, something along the lines of, you know, that isn't even, like, the most ridiculous thing in this movie. It's 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 almost like, you know, if you just look at it out of context, sure, it gets it should get a lot of praise, but it's almost like, you know, the bottom half, if you ranked the the weirdness and lines in this movie. I mean, even that whole scene is fantastic. Even the, the other things he says, I mean, Harlan Williams, when he comes in and Tom Green has a weird fucking pulley system of sausages set up, Harlan Williams says, what in the name of sweet breakfast meats are you doing? And that's a great line. I think people should say that to other people all the time. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. I mean, even the whole, we haven't even talked about Rip Torn getting drunk and, you know, yelling it at, uh, at, at Gord in his basement room, which is, it's kind of a little unfortunate or maybe mean that they didn't tell Riptorn they were filming that day. That seems like Riptorn is just being himself where he's getting drunk on his wild turkey bourbon and he's just uh, Gord's like, yeah, fuck you, dad. And he's, fuck me. Fuck me. Takes his pants off, well, lowers his pants, waves his ass at Gordy and is like, come over here. Come over here and stick it right in there. And Tom Green goes, dad, put your ass away. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! It's all—it's all out of this world and absolutely wonderful. I, I love it so much. We—I mentioned the shisham, and I'm here with a bag. But he also says Japan Four in the uh, trying to get past the security guard. That's fantastic. I mean, I, I guess the only thing we really haven't talked about would then be uh, the the Pakistan portion of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the very, very end. I love the fact that, well, one, we have even more animal penises because Tom Green jacks off an elephant and douses Riptorn in elephant semen. And then they have their heart-to-heart moment. It always gets me that a small net just gets dropped on them while they are laying down and then they get captured. But when the people, whoever capture them, when that when those people show up right before they drop the net on it, Riptorn says to them, Buenos dias. <laughs> <laughs> oh god it's wonderful it's wonderful he's like you sold your doodles for a million dollars you did all this by selling your doodles it's a very heartfelt moment and then they get captured I think it is a very very it has to be a very poignant decision to make all of the older versions of Tom Green Riptorn and Eddie K. Thomas look like Jesus for some reason all of their hair grows out to be straight like Jesus it's wonderful <laughs> 
Indeed, Rob. I feel Nothing like sure I'm thinking of lines for, that we've mentioned from this movie, and I feel like to summarize this episode, our audience listens to it, and they're like, this is, like, they've, they've, they've been into some weird stuff. This might be a little too far. I don't know if I can get behind Freddy Got Fingered. And then it cuts to me going, shh, I'm pretending it's a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not pretending. It is a treasure. It is a treasure. I feel like we're going to get a lot more of the... Oh, God, this is actually the first time I'm mentioning this to Zach because I forgot about it. Um, We had a comment on Podbean on our Monkey Bone episode. Have you seen this, Zach? Yes, Rob, I have seen this. The comment is, what the fuck? (laughs) That is the entirety of the comment. (laughs) Oh, God, It's, it's... it's a masterpiece. I mean, that's this is what we build the episode as. It's a masterpiece. Like I said at the start, this is the time I just want to gush over something. I'm glad, Zach, you were here to rein me in. Otherwise, I would have just we, – we would have done a table read of this movie. <laughs> 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 oh, God, but it's fantastic. So I guess I, I do want to ask, um, on your DVD, did you watch the uh, deleted scenes for this recording? I did not. Oh, okay. None of the deleted scenes are wonderful, but we do get to see Stephen Tobolowsky. Uh, making out with a Native American man, which is pretty good. I, I don't know if it's on the DVD. I would assume it has to be. But uh, one of the versions that I have on my hard drive of Stephen Tobolowski's introduction scene, like when Gord first gets to Hollywood and he drives to – in the in the movie, we just see him basically drive – he sees the animation studio and he drives to the cheese sandwich factory and gets to work. In the In the deleted scene, the first place he goes is his uncle Neil's house – Played by Stephen Tobolowski, he walks in, and Stephen Tobolowski's making out with a big bear, I'm pretty sure his name is, a a Native American man fully dressed up in Native American garb and clothing. Um, But one of the versions I have on my hard drive is this deleted scene, but with Tom Green's commentary. And he's, oh. and he's talking about the scene. He's like, oh, we had to cut it. And, he's, and he says some interesting stuff. Like, he's like, we didn't really cut anything because we didn't think it was funny. He's like, uh, we cut a lot of stuff because we had to get, you know, make the story move better. And he, he does talk a little bit about how we didn't want to spend too much time in Hollywood. We wanted Gord to get back to his parents' house to have more of that story fleshed out. But there's a point in this two to two and a half minute scene and this commentary of the same length where maybe there's like 45, 30, 45 seconds left where Tom Green says something like, uh, yeah, that's, that's really all I have. I don't have anything left to say about the scene, so I'm going to make noises until it ends. And then just makes noises like, blah, 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 like Tom Green's shtick. And it is glorious. <laughs> I guess I don't have much more to say about why we took this out, on, so I'm just going to make a relevant sound till the end of the scene. I'm a member of the team. That's the spirit. Now look, uh, I am going to spend the night with Big Bear tonight, so you can go back and sleep in my bed. And uh, I will see you first thing tomorrow morning at the factory, bright and early, okay? Let me, let me show you where everything is. So I don't know. Maybe I'm sure that has to be on your DVD. I would definitely recommend checking that out. <laughs> sure. Uh, there's, some, there's a deleted scene of Gord doing more work at the cheese factory. Where he is, like, we see a little bit of it in the final cut, but it's, like, him with the cheese on his head, like, crawling on the conveyor belt type of stuff. And there's a few shots where it's motion-stabilized to his head 
that looks so out of place. It's ridiculous. And I'm like, I'm kind of glad they cut that because it looks so jarring. It's almost like the color timing thing, but you can clearly tell that it's like you, – because you have to do something to get motion stabilization. And it seems very, very purposeful, but it is crazy to see. Um, but I, the other deleted scenes, I mean, there's one that is like a, an homage to Apocalypse Now where in the scene where he's trying to figure out what to draw and he keeps freaking out. He you know punches a mirror and his hand bleeds and stuff like that. Um, when he quits the job and goes back to his parents' house, there's a scene of Uncle Neil, Stephen Tobolowsky, calling Rip Torn and saying, like, um, you know, Gord's coming back home, he quit his job, and the end of the scene is Rip Torn is like, you suck! He's like, Neil, you suck! You're a bad brother! You suck dick! And Neil goes, well, yeah, because it's been established he's a gay man. Um, the deleted scenes aren't, I mean, they're, they're great, they're a part of this movie, but I feel like, you know, I would love to see just this movie type of thing that makes it like the, the product that I know and love is so wonderful that when I see the lead scenes, I'm like, Oh, that's just a little bit of garnish type of thing. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some good stuff in the bonus special features that I've seen. There's one in the special feature, which I don't know if you watched, but he talks about how Tom green literally says he, he says, and I quote, everybody knows that senior citizens are stupid. That's why we cast most of our extras as people between the ages of 65 and 90. And yes, I'm just like, yes, okay, yes. Tom Green, that's a, one. He's saying it very, very straight, like a Tom Green would. He's not, like, doing it in any weird voice or anything. And I'm just like, okay, that's an interesting choice. I mean, this is also in the same special feature where he says, it's interesting when masturbating a horse in cinema. The first thing you need to get a horse erect is a horse. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. No, He's not, not wrong. I mean, it's, it's you, you, you ever do those they did it in school, probably middle school I saw it, where it was those things where it's like how to write directions and it'd be like with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they try and get you in the trap where it says like, you know, step one, like put the peanut butter on the sandwich and you have somebody taking it very literally and they just like put the jar on the piece of bread or something. It, it's it's like that. I always find it's like, how do you get a horse erect? Step one, get a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there, there is a more fleshed out version or maybe not a version, but like takes of the sausage song in one of the behind scenes footage I have. Did you see that one? I did not. It's like some scenes of like him and, uh, somebody like other people like in a hotel room and like Tom Green is just like sitting with his keyboard and he's like saying like a lot of like, he's like, he's basically on his way to find the sausage scene and that's pretty good. Because he's playing, he's doing the wordplay of like sausages, and then he starts saying sausages, and then he starts saying saucy jizz and stuff like that. And it's interesting just to watch Tom Green work, I've always thought. Daddy, would you like some sausage? Daddy, would you like some sausage? Daddy, would you like some sausage? The sausage song in Melody was one which was conceived of uh, one evening at the Sutton Place Hotel in Tunisia. sitting there one night just trying to come up with uh, something with a hook saucy, 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 saucy sausages. when I compose my songs I, I like to spend a lot of time just really first finding the melody Finding the lyrics. Oh, there's some sausages in there. 
ourselves with sausages. Sausages are tasty! Sausages are good! <laughs> I gotta go to bed. Um, but one of the most interesting things, which I mentioned very briefly before, is that there is one of the special features that I have where Tom Green says that the raw footage they shot for this movie was seven and a half hours long. Oh, my God. And that is what I think Zach and I are saying when we say release the green cut. If Snyder could get four hours, Tom Green should get seven and a half hours. Damn straight, Rob. Damn straight. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole scene that they talk about in the behind-the-scenes features that I have where they dropped a boat into an industrial wood chipper. And they show some of the footage, but that is not in the movie at all. And that is yeah, crazy. No, no. <laughs> is it the best thing we've ever discussed? What do you think? This is definitely up there. It's like, so up I, there, it's unreal. <laughs> but like, 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 I don't know. Like, like, it is in the like pantheon of the greatest cinemonies ever. Like, like, I don't know. Like, like again, I think it's like this film. Like, I don't want to compare it to like other things. Yes. Like The Shining, because or, like, it, it probably is Parade. incomparable. Yes. <laughs> yes, but I mean, like in the same vein of like other absurdist masterpieces, like The Cat in the Hat, and like like. It is up there. Like mm-hmm. it is. Like it's the pinnacle. Like, like I honestly cannot think of another mainstream absurdist film that's as profound as this. Absolutely, Ab- absolutely, Zach. I'm so with you. It's just it's it's out of this world. Like we've been saying, and I, I appreciate for that. And I I will never. This is this is up there. This is also probably got to be in like my top ten movies of all time as well. I appreciate this so much. And I think that's an important distinction. Is where it's like I did my whole. The, the rant that was the monkey bone episode where I'm like, the, I appreciate this movie. I love this movie. Like I have all these reasons for this is, I think I've made it clear. This is just something where it's like, you know, my body and life exists at a certain frequency. And for some reason, Freddie got fingered is also at that same frequency. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're oh, not wrong. God, it's so good. I mean, the other question I have, it's not even a question. I, 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 I think when I was preparing to ask you this, I realized that we should, I shouldn't even phrase it as a question. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This is the only movie we've discussed on Cinemodities where a scene takes place in a restaurant. <laughs> is it really? Say? No, it's definitely not. But I was I was saying, like, I should just double down and say it is. <laughs> I was saying, like, really? Is this the first time there's ever been a restaurant yeah, scene in any movie we've discussed? Many. I mean, I mean, there's a, the diner that Naomi Watts, at, Watts works at and, um, and the Book of Hank. Uh, Midnight Run takes place almost, you know, 40% of it is in restaurants and diners. But I, I was, I wanted to make the joke when I was thinking of it that I'm like, this is the first movie we've ever covered that takes place in, has a scene in a restaurant. And when it clearly is not, but I'm just like, it is. Let's go for it. Let's Tom Green absurdist go for it. We've never covered any other movie that has anything to do with a restaurant. And that's just why just it's go important. for it. <laughs> it's not even the first movie we've discussed that involves Drew Barrymore. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that was – I could go on and just keep talking about lines from this movie. I mean the, this, the episode length is probably going to be doubled or tripled at this point because I'm going to have all these clips in here oh, multiple sure. times and things like that. Jeez, it's, it's wonderful. I mean I even mentioned – I'm looking at some of my notes, and I even mentioned them without even getting into my notes. The whole – the needle drop of Moby's natural blues with the slow motion shot of Gord throwing away his art. I already mentioned that. Like it's just – it's impossible – not to love this movie, I think. I think everybody who doesn't love this movie has fundamentally something wrong with them. <laughs> oh, clippity clop. <laughs> God, the little touches. Even the whole... Be- we talked about the roof scene where Betty uh, gets the jewels. I just love 
you know, Marissa Coughlin, who is not in real life in a wheelchair. She's uh, another thing that's not woke about this movie. You have someone not handicapped playing a handicapped person. I love when she's going up on the roof to get to Gordy and the helicopter's there, and she is. you could clearly see her having trouble rolling the wheelchair to get into, into the scene. <laughs> I never picked up on that. Oh, she is having such a rough time with that wheelchair in that shot. It's great. <laughs> Oh, it's a bag of jewels, Betty. They're jewels, Betty. Gordy, I don't care about jewels. <laughs> I want to suck it's your so, cock. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. It is. It really is. Like I said at the start, this really is like music. This movie plays as music to me. That it is so It is so complete. It is one thing. I, I feel like you can't take it apart. It, it's not a cheese sandwich. There's no bread. There's no, no cheese. It is, it is just, it is, it is a song. It is a song that I love, Zach. <laughs> oh, God. oh, I mean, I'm trying to think. Rip Torn at one point, he wants to go to the bathroom in the fancy, and he says, I need to spill some urine. Where would I do that? <laughs> that is something I'd never heard prior to this movie and probably never again. Um, I always thought the most crude way to say you have to go to the bathroom yes. is I have to bleed the snake. Uh, I always thought sure. that was the most crude way. <laughs> now I have to go spill some urine. Might be my new favorite <laughs> crude way to say that. And Rip Torn saying it. I need to spill some urine. <laughs> I have to say, I would imagine, like, at the end of the day, this will probably be the Cinemods episode, which has the most amount of clips in it. Oh, yeah. Like, we're like, the percentage of the actual film being in the episode <laughs> is probably this. <laughs> oh, because, I mean, there's so much that I... I I know these lines and I and I have the way that I say them, but the way Tom Green says them is just perfect. I mean, like the like I mentioned before, the the, the Betty 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 will need that clip because the way he says it perfect. Even before he does the Daddy, would you like some sausage? When he's talking to Harlan Williams and Harlan Williams is looking at his drawings and he's like, "Oh, look at this! You might not be able to see it, Gordy, because he's your dad." And he fucking throws you through glass fucking shower doors. But he's pretty funny. He's a real character. And Tom Green goes. He is? And then starts playing, he's a real character! He's a real character! And just the all of it, all of it is so wonderful. <laughs> it's on my frequency. It really is on my frequency. <laughs> it's, like when you, it's like when you're vacuuming and you hum at the right note that it resonates with, like you're at the same frequency and tone with the vacuum and it makes a very, very strange feeling in your ears. That's what this movie does to my soul. <laughs> do, people, do people even vacuum anymore i mean do kids these days vacuum i can't no, imagine they no do. They, they have they have roombas that go around the house <laughs> oh god oh this is a fancy <laughs> this is a fancy restaurant oh i'm just i'm just i'm just plumbing the depths of my memory of this movie as replaying rip we see rip torn lick his teeth because he's trying to be seductive to julie haggerty at a certain oh, point oh boy that's fucking nightmare fuel and <laughs> you can tell it's nightmare fuel to julie haggerty as well <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the beginning of the movie when Tom Green's like, I'm a 28-year-old man. And I'm like, I'm also a 28-year-old man. I feel represented <laughs> in cinema. <laughs> oh, God. Perfect. It's perfect. perfect, perfect All right, so. Rob. Questions. Oh, God. Okay. Um, so uh, I guess maybe before we go to questions, we take a brief intermission. This is the halfway point of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> We will now play the entire movie in audio form. He's a real character. He's a character, your dad. <laughs> he is? Yeah. He 
He's a character? Oh, shit, it's your dad! He's a real character! He's a real character! Mr. Mrs. Brody! He's a real character! I mean, so the first question, uh, if I were you, what would you do? Well, I'd have sex with strange men. I'd have sex with basketball players. have sex with Greeks. Men from Greece. <laughs> I'd satisfy my urges. And that, that line also comes after when Julie Haggerty and him, because Riptorn drives over Gordy's halfpipe, and then Gordy's upset, and he's like, he's so stupid. He's not stupid. He's a stupid. He's a stupid. He's not stupid. Oh, I guess I guess that's my one. It's not that I don't like it because I don't I don't dislike anything about this movie. I wish Julie Haggerty had a little bit more, like just a little, another maybe a few more lines because her voice is so unique and she's her voice is so underutilized in this movie. It's I just that's the one thing I would like a little more of. I think Julie Haggerty. Julie Haggerty. <laughs> yeah, I mean she's like I said she's always going to be the airplane woman, but I think she's great as I don't know if you've ever seen it, Zach. Her arc as um. Uh, I think the the fifth kid is Jamie in Malcolm in the Middle when they have the baby and she she's uh, the new baby's babysitter and she's in it for like a season. She's really good in that. I I mean Julie Haggerty, she basically yeah, airplane lady. That's all she's ever going to be to them, to the masses. She's always going to be Gord's mom. <laughs> to Rob, she will always be Gord's oh, mom. Oh, I guess, I guess we do have to talk about the visual of Tom Green throwing the bust out of the psychiatrist's office, perching on the windowsill, and then running away. That is shot so strangely. It looks so weird, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. When he's running away, that's this where Torrance, like, yelling out the window. Yes, and it's, he, it looks like he is literally, like, crouched over. Like, like you've ever seen anybody wear, like, gym shorts, and then they crouch over, and they put their arms through the legs of the shorts while their legs are still in it, and it makes you, like, look like a T-Rex or something? He's running like that. And it's the strangest thing, and I love it. <laughs> okay, okay, I, get, I guess we have to get to our questions, and we will insert, as I go through them, things I remember about this movie. <laughs> so, I mean, so. I don't think it's any surprise. This is, this is up there. This is like you've well, been is, saying okay, for cinemodities, I mean. Okay, let, me, let me rephrase this. Okay, what tier – I think we can both agree, <laughs> cinemati and late-night movie – but like, oh, yeah. what tier is this? Is it? This has to be platinum tier, right? Like, this is just like Tom Green gets the bust in the Cinemati. Yes, absolutely, he gets a bust in our uh, in our director's hall, um, in whatever hall. He get, I don't know. He might get a bust at like the entrance of the restaurant or something. Um, I yeah. I mean, what's what's the top tier that the kids are using? These platinum, god tier. I've heard S tier a lot recently. Okay. People think it's like there's S tier and then A, B, C, D and the other letters. For some reason, S is up there. I guess I've heard S rank too for things as a really good thing. I don't know where that comes from. But yes, it's the top tier. That's what I'm getting at. That this is up there. Like, this is, yes, very much incomparable to the, the other maybe behemoths that we've discussed and the behemoths we haven't discussed that will come out in maybe the next six years of Cinemodities. We'll finally get to them. Um, but this, this is absolutely up there. Like, th this is, there's a reason that when we started this podcast, we have our spreadsheet. The first two things of the spreadsheet are, you know, what do we want to talk about? This has been on there since the inception of that spreadsheet. And it's going to be weird finally putting it into the used column. <laughs> so strange. Yeah, it was weird putting monkey bone from my part of the spreadsheet in the used column too. But this one, finally getting to. But it, it has to be top tier. I mean, you're right. 
It's next to, it's not above or below, it is next to Eraserhead. It is next to, I would say, The Shining. I would say it's it's going to be next to some other things. Like Dead Alive, you mentioned. Some other things we'll talk about eventually, I'm sure we'll get up here as well. Um, but it, it is it is something where you can't put one above or below each other. The only reason we would ever put one above or below each other is because we are picking it up so we can dust around it and underneath it or something, just to put it back and make sure it's clean and pristine and looks good on the shelf. <laughs> It truly is. This is truly end of a specific time and place in the Cinematis podcast. Yeah, yeah. Because Freddy Five Fingered is truly like it's it's. There's nothing ever going to be like this. It's the no, definition. No. I would say it's the definition of a cinematity. I was. I, oh yeah, that's a really good way to put it. This is probably like when when we were talking about the idea of of what a late night movie was like years ago. Just when I would go back to New York and we would hang out with each other, just talking about the concept of late night movie. This is probably where it started for me, where I was just like in my freshman year and undergrad, and it was like, well, you know, if I don't choose the movies, people are gonna watch shit like Step Brothers. So it had me going, okay, Freddie got fingered. Thanks, killing. I, I got Odd Sack on DVD and was like, we're fucking watching this, you know, that type of stuff. <laughs> so this is probably where it started. This is probably where, if you traced it back, that, you know, there would not be this podcast if I did not have that experience with this movie in 2010, late 2010. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. You're right, Rob. <laughs> I, I guess with all that, is there anything else you want to add to that? Or do you want to just delve right into uh, the snacks right now? Uh, I think... No, that's, I don't that's think, probably. I think it it's for, pretty. Yeah, it's yeah. obvious, right? It's like how can yeah. there's. It's almost like a, I actually. I guess the best way to put it is for both cinemas and late night in my notes. I wrote definitively. Yeah, I think this I, is the first time I've ever wrote definitively. I usually write if I either get a yes or a no, I'll put some little explanation. There's been times when I put you know absolutely or definitely or absolutely. Um, even I, I've gone extreme. It's been what in our first few episodes where I do uh, I do the no where there's an asterisk on the N and the O, and both asterisks lead to no in the footnotes. I've, getting, I've gotten creative with things. You know, we've gotten creative with things. I don't want to leave you out of it. You've put some really... You wanted a, you, you do have and wanted and have a sound clip for one of the answers to our... I think it was for <laughs> Wonder Shows that you want a sound clip for one of your answers. So we've been creative, but this is a whole different category. This is the definitively Cinematis and Late Night movie. It is definitively. There's no question... There is no discussion. It is just definitively. And it's going to be wonderful to put a new word in the spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, I, I I could not disagree if I tried. Oh, man. So, yeah, I guess that brings us to snacks. And um, I, I have to say I, I have some ideas, but this is one of those things where, you know, I, I was so just it, – it's one of the movies that I fall into the trap of. I'm just on board, and I wasn't thinking about snacks too much. But I think I do have a good one other than some of the obvious ones I chose. Um, from our Freaked episode, and it's also come up in a few other instances, I think, discussing that we have it, in our Sin Emodities portion, I think that's where it is, of the restaurant, we have our Heavy Petting Zoo. Oh, I yes. would like in the heavy petting zoo we introduce some new animals, maybe some more exotic animals. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know how we can get more exotic than the double-headed llama that exists in the heavy petting zoo. But in this portion, or some of these animals in the he- the heavy petting zoo have erections. So let's go balls to the wall. Let's be like, what's got that horse? It's got a boner. Elephants got a. I. I don't know a lot about animal erections, to be honest, Zach. To give full disclosure to our audience and you, I don't really know a lot about animal erections. I just know those weird facts that pop up on the internet because they just seem so crazy that what it's like, 
the the animal that has like the fastest ejaculation speed is like a fly or something like that. There's some re- weird insect or something along those lines. When he jacks off the elephant at the end of Freddy Got Fingered, that elephant's penis does not look erect, but it also looks like it is physically impossible to get erect because the elephant would fall over. Yes. What do you know about elephant erection sack? Do you want to enlighten us? I am a hundred percent ignoramus. How about this? We'll make a we'll make a uh, we'll make a deal. I will Google the Foogly porn if you Google the elephant erections. <laughs> Let's ruin our search histories. <laughs> Let's both be on list by the internet and the government. Oh, the only thing I know about elephant mating is that I read an article years ago about the concept of must. So must, M-U-S-T-H. Must is basically the technical term for elephants going into heat, like their their mating period. And I, I was very intrigued by this because whatever I was reading that introduced me to this, the person phrased the concept of animals going into heat, specifically for must in elephants, as it is a period of time that elephants become so sexually charged that they will stop at nothing to mate. And I love the use of the phrase, they will stop at nothing. And so I would love a movie of like a Sharknado type thing where elephants are in heat and they are like destroying congress to mate and things like that like they will stop at nothing like they are they are like destroying legislature and things i love that phrase they will stop at nothing it's jumanji but instead of a board game it's elephants having sex yes absolutely like i imagine you see elephants like ramming planes when they're landing at airports and it's like because they're trying to trying to have sex It's World War Z, but it's it's obvious it's elephants trying to have sex. It's a wonderful turn of phrase to use with animals that aren't in most of our civilization, like an elephant, that they will stop at nothing to do something. Nothing. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Uh, So write in, cinemodders at gmail.com. What do you know about animal or an elephant erections? (laughs) Comment down below. So yeah, I figured we'd go just balls to the walls, like you said about this movie. In our heavy petting zoo, we'd have some uh, animals with erections, for sure. Sure. Obviously, one <laughs> thing that I want... I like that. There's There's like, sure. on it. <laughs> hey, I want to get the cheese sandwich in there. I think... I had that, that yeah, Cinem- I had that. <laughs> I think Cinemodis should branch out, and we should have the Cinemodis Cheese Sandwich Company. Ooh, okay, okay. We sell um, prepackaged cheese sandwiches... Sure. We know how important cheese is on a sandwich. Because what else would it be without the cheese? It's just two slices of bread. <laughs> we can't have that. I mean, have, a, have you seen those pictures of like someone will buy like um like a sandwich, whether it be cheese or like a club or anything, a prepackaged sandwich, and like it's sold in that like cut in half diagonal way, so that when you look sure. at the packaging, it looks like it's a full sandwich. But then they get it and they open it, and it's just the slightest amount of like of toppings or or ingredients that it basically is like just enough so you could see it in the packaging, and then the rest of the sandwich is empty. Have you ever seen any of those? Not really. Okay, that, that's popped up on the internet here and there throughout the years um, as, like, poor quality control type of thing. Um, I, I feel like I would like that with our some of our sandwiches in the reverse, that you in the packaging it looks like there's, oh, this is a good sandwich, you know, two slices of bread and maybe a few slices of cheese. You open it up, and the part of the sandwich you couldn't see is, like, 90% cheese. <laughs> 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 like, I also love... The fact that not so much in uh, in the, the Hollywood Cheese Factory where they're clearly making these cheese sandwiches on a conveyor belt. They're going to be prepackaged. I love the idea that at the Submarine Supreme Cheese Sandwich Shop he works at, people are buying 
cold sandwiches with unmelted cheese on it. Who does that? Does anybody do that? <laughs> well, that's not a question I wanted to ask. Like, what? Like, okay, we should be pioneers and just sell cheese sandwiches. So just bread with just cold cheese? Is that what you're well, saying? Some level of, well, you need some level of condiment. Like, maybe like maybe like a little bit of mayo, some mustard. Cheese maybe whiz? Like tomato. Well, sure. We can put some cheese on top of the cheese. But that's what I mean. We need cheese. It should, like, our tagline should be the Cinemati Cheese Company, okay, Cheese Sandwich okay. Company. And it says, and underneath it says, like, if you don't like it, you can shove it up your bum bum. What about our flagship cheese sandwich will be the, the two slices of bread and make it, like, a very bland bread, like what, Wonder Bread or something like yes. that? Yes. Um, maybe off-brand Wonder Bread, but it's going to be just, like, bland-ass <laughs> wa- bread. It's Walmart brand, sure. like white bread. <laughs> Great value bread. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so, okay, it's two slices of maybe, like, on the verge of getting stale, great value <laughs> bread. And then it's it's a slice or, or maybe one or two, however much we figure out. Of course, we'll have to work at the details and the cost uh, efficiency and stuff like that, whatever. But it's then slices of cheese, not melted, just slices of American cheese topped with cheese whiz and sprinkled Parmesan cheese. <laughs> Oh, that's too fancy. That is no, way too fancy. I don't fancy. think that's fancy at all. I think that's three forms of room temperature cheese on s- s- bread that's about to go stale. I think that's wonderful. And those cheeses don't mix together because American cheese has a very distinct flavor. And American cheese isn't, I think, technically not even a cheese if you look up the definition of what cheese is. It's like processed food product. Cheese Whiz <laughs> is almost the same thing. But if you ever had Cheese Whiz, it is a very distinct flavor separate from American cheese. And then like just like the craft, not even, no, great value room temperature parmesan cheese i think that's perfect zach those three flavors do not go together it would be a great flagship sandwich and it's three and it's three levels of consistency yes exactly exactly this is wonderful i would totally try that sandwich i don't think i would like it but and, I would you, try and guess sandwich. what rob if you don't like it you can shove it up your bum i can bum. shove it up my bum where can i do with the cheese i can shove it up your bum <laughs> <laughs> I do like – that's a good point is the tagline. You could shove it up your bum. <laughs> oh, delightful. Oh, delightful. Yeah. I had the cheese sandwiches as well. I like you know you saying that we should use it to branch out as prepackaged. We don't have that anywhere. Selling food outside of the restaurant, do we? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, like we, we've never gotten into like the frozen pizza business. We've never gotten into like the um, – oh, God. Okay. Okay, we sell the the – no, 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 hold on. No, I'm thinking about the sport. It doesn't make any sense. I like that we sell prepackaged cheese sandwiches, and I was also going to say we sell prepackaged cigarettes, which is just <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> As we know, people get killed for selling Lucy's. <laughs> I don't think I can make that joke these days. I'll have to bleep that out. <laughs> oh, God, Zach. That's good. I like it. We should branch out. What other things do we have on the restaurant that we could sell prepack? Oh, prepackaged bumps of cocaine? Exactly. <laughs> And, and that makes us officially drug dealers. I was about to sure. say we branch out to being drug dealers. <laughs> oh, there's probably some good good food that we have that we could you know sell on a in a, like a convenience store setting, like a Seven Eleven or a Walgreens type of thing. Maybe some type of frozen food or something like that. I guess I guess that's the thing. What what type of shelf space are we trying to get with the prepackaged cheese sandwiches? Because uh, like, are we trying to get it into a cooler, or are we just go and like say fuck it? It's next to like. The Campbell's canned soup, you know? <laughs> like it's just on an unrefrigerated shelf. The Cinemodities cheese sandwiches. <laughs> I think it should be next to the Lunchables. 
Okay, okay. I mean, it'll be tough to get the cooler space next to Lunchables, but I think that's a good thing to shoot for because it'll give us another chance to get on Shark Tank and ask for the money to do so. I like that. We go to Shark. I, I would love to see a Shark Tank scenario <laughs> where it's Tom Green going to Shark Tank as Gordy. And he's just like, and he's like, I have an idea for a product. <laughs> it's a banana. I tied to a string and a bag, a bag of uh, eyes, a bat, bat bean eyes. <laughs> and what the sharks are like, what's the, uh, what's the marketing strategy? <laughs> I would love, love to have a TV show like in the vein of Shark Tank. It's actors going to like people like the sharks, quote unquote. And they're selling them on products that have already existed and seeing if businessmen <laughs> and women of today's era would greenlight things that have been greenlit in the past and that were wildly successful. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I want that as a TV show. Like they go like one of them's like Tom Green going to Shark Tank. Like, okay, I'll make a movie. I'll make a movie about uh, a struggling artist. His name is Gord. Gordy. <laughs> He's got some uh, some issues with his father. He has a girlfriend named Betty. She's a paraplegic. <laughs> It's a uh, it's like an African American Greek myth. <laughs> <sighs> All right, Rob, what other snacks you got? I think the other things I had were definitely um, you know, like the uh maybe the low hanging fruit. Like I definitely wanted some form of like chicken sandwich, but it's thrown at you by Rip Torn. Like I would maybe not by Rip Torn, but I would love the waiter to be like if someone orders the chicken sandwich, that the waiter comes over with it like on the tray, but then before they actually reach your table to actually put the food down, like maybe when they're a few feet away they just whip the chicken sandwich at you type of thing <laughs> i think you, there should be a chicken sandwich when you order it you get the roast beef because you can eat that roast beef and go to bed that's that's good that's good <laughs> oh that's another great line delivery now you can eat that roast beef or you can go to bed <laughs> yeah the chicken sandwiches and the roast beef i think there's definitely some hand in hand type of thing um with with those two uh, I I would love. I also like chicken sandwiches, and I like roast beef. So that's always a good good thing. Um, I I would love some version of you know we have maybe at the end of one of our perform or maybe we need it like somebody that would perform music in a restaurant like on our stage or like we have our Vox Lux animatronics, all our animal and animatronics animatronics um, that we have maybe a a fancy restaurant type, you know, string quartet or maybe like, you know, the band from the Titanic, that type of thing um, where they're playing like the classical music, but it will devolve into them like smashing their violins and things like that. Like that'll be the end of their performance. (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) I love it. I mean, other than that, I, I don't have too many like great ideas or anything of that, like great, you know, activities or things like that for the, um, for the, Sinmali's restaurant. I think it is more that this movie shouldn't have because we have some great discussions about how these movies and shows or whatever we talk about they have their imprint on the restaurant in terms of the snacks and activities. I think the impact of this movie on the restaurant should be well one it probably wouldn't exist without Freddy Got Fingered and the pure appreciation of it the bust the um the maybe like the uh the the framed poster that you mentioned of when the fuck is this movie going to end that type of stuff i think that's how we should pay respects to this film by you know it's a landmark in the restaurant type of thing or the the restaurant Uh, even is a landmark for freddie got fingered appreciation exactly it's it's for the shisham you know it's okay okay. i'm here with a bag (laughs) 
God, it's so it's so good. I recommend everybody go watch this movie. I mean, well, you have to be able to rent this somewhere, right? Like on oh, YouTube, yeah, it's, it's got to exist. Yeah, yeah, it's around. I uh, I don't know where it would be streaming for free. It seems like it would be rent. You'd have to rent it type of thing. Um, but who knows? I mean, we found Monkey Bone on HBO Max, so who knows? <laughs> who knows, Rob? I guess who the knows? question is, Zach, is this on Disney Plus? <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> is we this on the trending hope. part of Disney Plus? <laughs> Damn straight it is. After this episode, it will be. <laughs> I would love love to see this on Disney Plus, and then it's like one. It says Freddy got fingered, and then you go to it, and it's the scene where it's like he's a molester. He's a child molester. molester. <laughs> I guess that's speaking of Disney Plus, we didn't talk about the PG cut of this movie. Did you watch that on your DVD? Oh, yeah, the three minute cut. Three, yeah. The PG cut is three minutes long. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I don't watch that too often, I have to say. <laughs> okay, I, I guess um, uh, we have to talk about our final thoughts. Maybe we can talk about how downhill the rest of the fort year is going to go for Rob. What's next? Pearl Harbor? Zach wants to do three weeks on Pearl Harbor. Is that it? No, I think the mummy is next. next. Mummy the returns? mummy returns. Yeah, okay, okay. The mummy returns. Is That's next. not bad. I might. I'm probably gonna rewatch the first one and the second one, and then I'll probably take the uh, the sadistic way and watch the third one as well for for that Why? recording. Because I don't think I've ever seen the third one. You should watch a Scorpion King too. Ooh. Just for good measure. Ooh, that's that's perfect, Zach. I mean, peak CGI. James Cameron does nothing on the Scorpion King, I think. <laughs> but yeah, so then uh, the uh, I think yeah, that's coming up next week. I'm imagining everybody in the audience is asking themselves, when is this episode going to end? <laughs> um, this is a wonderful movie. Um, I, I think we covered it fantastically. I, I, I think uh, it'll be a doozy to edit. The clips will be abundant. And uh, I think if you don't have any other final thoughts, Zach, the question becomes, well, how do we want to end this episode? I think we're spoiled for choice. I mean, I really want to use stuff like the uh, Zebras in America uh, dialogue that we get and the little music. And even though the the score to one point of the Zebras in America thing is just somebody saying fuck over and over, I think that'd be great in reverse. But I also want to play Moby's Natural Blues in reverse. I mean, there's there's so many good needle drops in this movie as well. We get different versions of the I've Got to Be Me. I mean, we get the Sammy Davis Jr. version, and we also get the Iggy Pop version. It's crazy. <laughs> were there any anything anything you were thinking about uh, music at the end of the episode? Uh, not really. Not really. Other okay. than, uh, Daddy, would you like some sausage? I mean, that's all that we have. That as well. Uh, all the, uh, the he's a real character. He's a real character. <laughs> Look, honey, our son found a way to eat sausages while working on his stupid doodles. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, okay. I don't want it to end, Zach. I don't want it to end. I know, Rob, I but don't we have to. I don't want it to end. I don't want it to end. Oh, God, I guess I have to. I mean, what if I just never stop recording? What if I let this get to, What's like, just, to? just to, like to 20 gigs? What if I just let it go until my computer fills up with memory? And then it, it has to stop. Like, it fundamentally has to stop recording. You're crazy, Ron. You're crazy. just hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God.